Hey, I'm Steve. And I'm Blake. And you're listening to Action, the movie podcast. Welcome to episode 26 of Action, the movie podcast. Uh, if, you, if this is your first time tuning in with us, it's a movie podcast where myself and uh, my co-host Steve, we try to semi-surprise one another with a movie each week, and we do not discuss it at all with phone, text, in person, whatever, until we actually record. That way our opinions don't influence the other one's accidentally or on purpose and this week was my choice and i picked the uh, 2014 uh, i guess black comedy frank and uh, what kind of what drew me to this movie was honestly primarily the cast i the cover of the movie was weird it's a uh it's a man in a giant paper mache mask and then when you look at the cast it it just, I was like, oh, I have to see this movie. I don't know anything about it, but I have to see it. And that's just, honestly, that's kind of, it's one of those ones where I judged the book by the cover and I was like, I got to watch this movie. What, uh, what kind of, what drew you to it, Steve? Uh, Cause you told me to watch it, Blake. Forewarning, this is a full spoiler podcast. This is your spoiler warning. If you have not seen the movie, please, you know, go ahead and pause us watch the flick and come back to us and, you know, join in with the conversation. Now quickly, a, I guess a quick uh, plot synapses. We have John, uh, John Burroughs, who has dreams of, of, you know, being a songwriter and joining a band. And wouldn't you have it, he gets an opportunity to join a local, I guess, extreme band. I'm not an indie band. I'm not entirely sure. Experimental uh, due to an incident with their keyboardist, and he happens to be nearby and cracks a joke saying that he can play the keyboard. And so they, in a panic, say, Cool, you're joining the band. And then it is just a series of escalating events where he joins the band literally, and he has to go create now he's a session player, but then he has to go create an album and all the fun stuff that follows this in the inner turmoil of the very unique band and that's just kind of a uh just a synopsis to get you pulled in <laughs> i agree you want to add anything nope i think you pretty much know it all right so originally the film hit sundance may of 2014 and then by september uh it had got distribution and was on available on demand as well as dvd and blu-ray i'm going to hit and jump to the director it is directed by the Irish director Lenny Abrahamson. Abrahamson. It's a long last name. I think it's just Abramson. Or do they do they pronounce it Abrahamson? I'm not sure. I think it's Abramson. It might be Abramson. I don't know. <laughs> There's a bunch of names I'm not sure how to pronounce, so I was gonna have you help me too along the way. We'll 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 see what happens. <laughs> Including the band's name. <laughs> oh yeah, Which we'll get to that here in a little bit. The joke into itself in the movie, but <laughs> Uh, so he's done a couple of pretty cool things, a uh, few that I'm actually interested in. 
one of the first things he put out is a movie called Adam and Paul. And uh, most of his stuff early on is like these Irish black comedies. Because Adam and Paul is literally a, it's a buddy comedy about two heroin junkies trying to score their next hit. <laughs> that's that's the movie. When I was uh, reading about it, I was it, I was thinking about that Robert Pattinson movie we're always talking about. Like the, you know, it kind of reminded me of that. Cool times, good times, good times, good times. But the, he's actually he has some two pretty other cool things. Uh, one called uh, just called Room. And it stars Brie Larson, and I enjoy her. And I've seen her in enough things besides Captain Marvel that I enjoy her as an actress. She won Best Actress for that movie. That she did? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Very And then uh, the little boy in it, too. He, I don't know if he got nominated. I think he got nominated for that, the little boy in it, with her. Hmm. He was also the kid in that uh, Wander. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that, that little kid. Mm-hmm. He also in 2012 did a movie called What Richard Did. Now this is actually a pretty big story. It's based off of a book of the same name written, and it's about the story of a uh, a gentleman Brian Murphy who's uh 18, 19 years old, and was uh, beat to death by six assailants outside of a club for no reason. Apparently mm-hmm. they were bothering someone. He told them to stop, and they beat him to death. It's a real, like I said, I, I looked into the story. It's real messed up, like to the point, like like I said, there's six dudes beating on him, and then like when the autopsy and everything came, he died from what is it, cerebral edema, which is just a fluid on the brain, and then asphyxiation, asphyxiation via inhalation of blood. He drowned in his own blood. That's how hard they beat him. Wow. And this is the it's the based off the book that's written about him and his story and it it seems pretty intense. And I bring it up because it's pretty amazing in and of itself. But that year it came out was the most financially successful Irish movie that year. Wow. In 2012. And it's a, it's a pretty intense subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I didn't mean to like bring the energy level down, but it was a serious thing. And I think that it's crazy and that's kind of the energy of this movie. Yeah, you're not this, wrong. This movie, yeah. It kind of fits. A little bit. Besides that, he is responsible for, uh, I think, two TV shows that I'm, I can remember. One's just called Normal People, and the other one's called Conversations with Friends. And each seemed to be like hour long. I think it's anthology where it's like hour long self-contained standalone like dramas and stories and stuff. I'm sure they're all dark and depressing. looks like they're like Irish too. Mm -hmm. He's very big on supporting his Irish community, which is fair. Did you have anything you want to talk about? The only other thing that I noticed that um, I I knew about him from room because that was a pretty big movie. Like I said, Brie Larson won best actress and, um, so that's when I, I first heard about him. But then there was a movie called The Little Stranger, and I actually never finished it because I it started off and I didn't like it. It was I was excited about it. Yeah, it looked kind of cool, and I had seen Room, and I wanted to see like kind of what he did next because that was basically his next movie after that. It had Ruth Wilson in, and I was a fan of her from she was on this TV show on Showtime, and 
pretty good cast in it. Uh, Domino Gleason, who's in this movie, is actually it's, in it it's as pronounced well. Donal. Oh, it is the okay. It's See, well, there you go. I told you I was gonna need some help with some pronunciations. So Donal, yeah, Donal. But anyways, uh, yeah, that's really the only other thing. But uh, I started off watching. I never finished it. Maybe it gets better. I don't know, but I gave up on it. I guess maybe I need to revisit it. But what's it yeah. take for you to give up on a movie? That's a good question. Um, if, if it doesn't grab me, like, you know, within like maybe the first 20 minutes or so, like I need to be like at least interested in the characters. And I think we talked about one of those TV shows that your your boy did on Netflix. I gave up on that second Oh, Mike Flanagan. Yeah. I gave up on the, that uh, second one that he did. Um, Bly Manor. Yeah. I never finished Bly that. Manor, Bly Manor is like only, it's like only okay for like eight episodes and then has a really great last episode. So it's like, I don't blame you. So maybe little strangers like that. Maybe it gets great at the end. I don't know, but it kind of, uh, it was pretty mundane. Little strangers mm-hmm. set in 1940. Mm-hmm. The plot follows a doctor who visits an old house. Where mm-hmm. his mother used to work, only to discover that it may hold a dark secret. That's a plot for a thousand movies. I know. Right, exactly. And it feels like that when you're watching it. It was like... So it's and, almost two hours. To answer your question, like, you just kind of said it. It's like the same thing. So I was watching it, hoping for something different. I didn't see anything different. I felt like it was going to be the same thing over and again. So I just stopped watching it. But, you know, obviously probably something came up and interrupted me. Because, you know, I usually don't just turn off a movie, something will, I'll go revisit, I'll, I'll go back to it, you know what I'm saying, like, I'll get interrupted, and and I'll turn it back on, but I just never turn that one back on. It happens, nope. there's some movies that We're I We're pretty use. bad about watching things, watching things all the way through, we, we've talked about it off pod, but, like, recently, I think, you and Blake, but I sat through the whole thing, for whatever reason, but the, currently, this uh, Skin of a Rink is a movie that mm. is a, really divided the horror community and stuff like that i shut that off after 15 minutes you watch 15 minutes steve so you watch about five (laughs) i went to a theater not not knowing anything about it me and my fiance did and we uh she said she didn't want to get up and walk out in the middle of a movie in a theater and i was like all right so i literally in that theater did my best to fall asleep between the obnoxious jump loud noise jump scares that movie has but i I told y'all off pod that Skin of a Rink is my number one most hated movie I've ever seen in my life. And it takes like, and I mean, I've seen some bad movies in my life and this is, this is the currently, or as, as of my memory, this is don't, don't ever watch Skin of a Rink. So that's what it takes for me. I would have walked out if she would have stood up and I would have pushed her out of that theater, which, I, which we should have done. <laughs> I will say I've never walked out of the theater. I don't think I ever have either. Have we ever walked out of the theater? Mm-mm. I've never done it. Not a, I don't think, we I think I'm either. too cheap to do it. <laughs> I'm like, I paid the money. <laughs> I paid money it. for this crap. Yeah. I've been mad in the theater watching a terrible movie. Like, dang, I can't believe I paid money for this, but I sat through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those things I have like walked out, like as it's ending, I'm like, well, it's about to end. It's going to be a happy ending. It's going to be a sad ending. Let's just leave. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, one of that. So a little tension about little strangers. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add, or do you want to go ahead and jump to the writers? I'm good. I'm good on Mr. Abramson, if that's how you right, pronounce you, it. Uh, you can go ahead and take whichever writer you want. We have All right. Well, like you said, it's two writers, uh, John Ronson, and uh, again, help with the name, I guess. I Peter think it's Strawn. Peter Strawn. It's either yeah. Strawn or Strahan. Yeah. Let's go with Strawn. Looks like maybe the GH is silent. 
So Peter Strawn and John Ronson. So we'll start with Mr. Uh, Ronson, who basically is a uh, Donal Gleason's character. This he he wrote a newspaper article, uh, the Guardian, I guess, was a newspaper. He he basically worked as a um, let's see what how did he term that? He was a entertainment union union entertainment officer for a polytechnic school of central london in 1987 he was only 20 years old and the phone rang and it was somebody in the band uh which this movie is based off of and they said so frank's playing tonight and our keyboard player can't make it so we're gonna have to cancel unless you know any good keyboard players and the guy's like i play keyboards and basically it was played out exactly like the scene in the movie well you know not exactly but the conversation basically can you play c f and g yeah i don't know any of your songs We'll come here at sound check and we'll go over them, blah, blah, blah. So that's pretty much how the movie starts out, which we'll get into. But all that's a true story based on John Ronson's um, experience with them. And I guess we can get more into kind of that stuff in a little bit later. But um, John Ronson, he he wrote the story um, uh, with uh, the blessings of uh, the guy that uh, Frank is based off of. Frank Sidebottom was uh, the character in real life. And it was a persona of a guy named chris cv 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 so they again they're just uh a lot of the stuff that's in the movie really happened and this guy john ronson wrote this article and uh he was friends with peter strawn and peter strawn actually was like do you do you think this would make a good movie would you like to write it to a screenplay so they wrote it they obviously ended up writing it into a screenplay and they also uh collaborated on another movie called uh um, and who stare at goats, which was directed by a uh, kind of a Steven Soderbergh, George Clooney protege, uh, Grant Heslov. But um, again, that's another tangent there. But um, this is an pretty okay movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's weird. Just kind of like this one. But like the funny um, part about that movie is like they're like way more. Like it even starts with that. It's like way more of this movie is tr- more true than you realize and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, just like kind of a parallels with this movie. I mean, you'd watch this movie and you'd be like, no way is this stuff true. But it, all this is basically based on a real guy. And I, I don't know if we'll get I, I do have some key things I kind of wanted to talk about, I guess, with um, some stuff that really went on. Maybe we'll get it if we don't get into it throughout this podcast and talking about the movie. We'll I'll mention at the end, but mm-hmm. I'll let you uh, I, again. John, John Ronson, is, he's a pretty pretty well-known guy in Hollywood. Uh, he, this project he did called uh, Boxes, Stanley Kubrick Boxes. Did you read about that? Mm-mm. Yes, um, I saw it, but I figured you would have did research on it, so I'll let you. I, I need to ask Jeff, because, you know, Jeff's like the biggest Stanley Kubrick fan ever, but basically Kubrick's widow asked uh, John Ronson personally, you know, John Ronson's a British guy, uh, British, Irish, uh, kind of, they're, you know, He's in, in with all that stuff. So, you know, Kubrick was British and, but his, his, his widow got with him and asked him if he wanted to go through these boxes, like of Stanley Kubrick stuff. And it's just amazing things in there, like pieces of like what he did whenever he's making certain movies, notes, pictures, all kinds of different things. And uh, this guy basically made a, he, he, they made a documentary about it. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to check that out. And I, I'd, like I said, I need to ask Jeff if he watched that because it sounds really cool. But, uh, you that, know, that, he's, that's, he, that's just about them going through the boxes of Stanley's stuff. 
Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, see fucking... It's crazy that somebody like I me, mean, we all obviously know Stanley Kubrick, because somebody could be so interesting that you could make a movie about going through their boxes of their junk. Yeah. John Ronson was asked by the widow of Stanley Kubrick to investigate the contents of about a thousand boxes left oh, by Kubrick, showing it contained miracles reflecting the work he did after the release of Barry Lyndon in 1975. Contents of a thousand boxes, meticulously sorted materials Kubrick left. So, I mean, you get uh, out of all the stuff I read that he was a part of, that sounded the most intriguing just because Kubrick is uh, much like this movie with the, you know, obviously Kubrick was mainstream, but Frank being this this genius, you know, this mm-hmm. this genius musician where things just came naturally to him. But so it's like Ronson kind of likes characters like that and uh, kind of delving into this genius. I thought that was kind of neat, you know, so. Yeah. But, know. Uh, it's just called Boxes boxes Stanley Kubrick's boxes is what it's called the only other thing of his that I have is that he wrote a it's a Netflix movie called Okaja O-K-J-A he he wrote the screenplay and it was directed by Bong Joon-ho and that's the gentleman who's behind uh, Snowpiercer and Parasite as well as uh, The Host in 2007 and this movie sounds weird, but a super fun. It's about a little girl who ends up raising a genetically modified super pig. And it, uh, it's got a huge cast of characters on it, too, that we all love. Steven Yeun, Tilda Swinton, Jean uh, Carlo Esposito, and Jake Gyllenhaal. So that, that movie sounds pretty awesome. Did you say that, Paul that Dano? Might... Hmm? Did you say Paul Dano? Yes. No, I, oh, I didn't say that, but yeah, he's in that movie, too. Let me make it on the podcast at a later date. I'm not sure, but that sounds interesting enough. Yeah. Uh, I don't I have agree. anything else to add on him, but I do have a little bit on Peter Strawn. Yeah, go ahead. So he's written um, something called, he was on this thing called Playhouse Presents, which in and of itself is also a lot of um, anthologies, a lot of standalone dramas, but he has a couple movies under his belt. We have, what is it? How to Lose Friends and Alienate People with Megan Fox and Simon Pegg. Cool movie. Have you guys seen it? It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember enjoying it. Mm-hmm. How, to, how to Lose Friends and Alienate People. Yeah, it also has Bill Nighy, I think. If I've seen it. Yeah, remember. like all those British people seem like we're in it, yeah. Carson uh, as Dunn. well as he has a, a movie called Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. That Great sounds movie. Pretty, huh? It's great. It it looked it sounded really good. Gary but... Oldman's genius is always in it. And then he has another thing called The Snowman, which stars uh, Michael Fassbender, which we'll get to him in just a moment. But that sounded pretty cool too. But then he's actually working on an upcoming movie just called The Conclave, and it's like a thriller based upon like naming a, a new pope. But it has a huge cast of people. It's got Ray Fiennes. Stanley Tucci, who, if you remember episode two, we love Stanley Tucci, as well as uh, John Lithgow. But um, I don't have anything else on Peter. Do you have anything you want to add? Well, I mean, he just he seems like your typical Hollywood screenwriter. One thing I noticed about him is like he's uh, an ad he adapts a lot of things. Um, he's almost a lot every- of adaptations I saw. Yeah, almost everything he wrote is basically like Frank, for example, is based on an article. 
um, newspaper article or magazine article, whatever. A lot of these things are based on novels and a couple other things. Um, the Goldfinch, I, I watched that. That was all right, but uh, good cast in that. I mean, pretty much everything he makes is like basically big, you know, Hollywood movie written or directed, like co-written or something by somebody big and directed by a big director. There's another one called Our Brand is Crisis. That movie is pretty good with it's pretty intense movie with Sandra Bullock and Billy Bob Thornton directed by David Gordon Green, who did all that Halloween stuff lately. And but uh, again, I just uh, yeah, I Definitely has a good career. Um, he's it seems like he's in, in demand. So, yeah, it looks like he's going to be working for a while. It's definitely a talented guy. And I enjoy most of his things. So I, I definitely want I definitely wanted to watch Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. That sounded really good. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a slow burn, but it's good. It's very well written, very well acted. Again, Gary Oldman headlines. It's, it's Gary Oldman. It'll have to be. Right. It should be pretty fun. Yep. You ready to dive into some actors let's do it i have four i have i have four as well and i wanted to mention and i'll just do that to start it off with i guess carla azar azar the girl that plays the drummer Mm -hmm. i thought she was pretty unique um she'd never acted before but it sounds to me from what i read um and we'll get into it more but the cast played these songs Um, oh yeah it's really them in the movie that whenever they shot everything and recorded everything, it's really them as they're shooting the movie, playing these instruments. And um, she's a real drummer in a band called Autoluck. She's also Jack White's drummer um, right now. Again, no previous acting experience, but um, she seemed like the the kind of like the the engine for them. And uh, you, uh, I think it was her her quote. She said, "If a band has a good drummer and a singer, then everything else will kind of fall into place." And from what she said, Michael Fassbender was a good fat, a good front man. So um, between her and him, they they were able to kind of get all this stuff going. And we'll get into the music. The the music's been, in my opinion, the most fascinating part of this movie. And we'll get into the guy, kind of the guy behind that as well. But I just wanted to mention her. I thought that was pretty unique that uh, she was a, a real drummer and 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 not not an actress at all. Cause she did a pretty good job. Let's so, yeah, she has she 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 hasn't acted anything else either. This is it. <laughs> yeah yep but she did do i thought she did an okay job she was pretty she was she was good in 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 her role right exactly yeah but it did say that because none of the other people in the movie were accomplished musicians and they said that the hardest part was every time constantly telling her to play worse get off time stop playing good drums we need you to be worse at playing drums (laughs) and so that was pretty funny yeah uh, I'll start uh, with I have plays the character Don, and it's Scoot McNary, and he's he's an actor that I like, and I've seen him on a bunch of stuff, and I've heard him on podcasts. But when I actually went through his roster of movies, I hadn't really seen him in a whole lot, which is just kind of like because he acted in a bunch of stuff, but a lot of the movies he's acted in, I didn't really want to watch. It was like some cop drama or a hospital drama or this the only thing of his that i'd actually seen and i do enjoy the movie a lot is he was the main guy in gareth edwards monsters which is a pretty awesome movie which is what got gareth edwards 
the ability to direct uh, that Godzilla movie back in what 2014. But that's kind of it, unfortunately for me. I didn't really recognize anything. I recognized his face, but not a whole lot of stuff he'd been in. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like you see him in everything, and you just know him. And he actually, out of all the actors in this movie, is my favorite. There, I saw him. I think the first thing that I really like was like, "Who is that guy?" I I and wanted to know more about him. I he was on the season of True Detective, and he just did a great job. Again, I'm not going to give anything away about that show. If I if I even say what his character is, I'll probably be giving something away. But great in that show. Another TV show he was on. I think I've mentioned on here a few times, and and that we mentioned it quite a bit because so many great actors they cycle them through this show because each each season is its own standalone, like it has nothing to do with anything else. And um, actually, the main actress in the movie that I'm gonna pick for next podcast is as on a season of Fargo but um all these actors are just great in it and he was only in it for two episodes and I, I saw that and I was like was he only in it for two episodes and I thought to myself man that just shows how cool he is you know because he was only on it for two episodes and I remembered him so well but and then another movie he was in called Destroyer it might be one of the best it might be one of the most underrated movies I've ever seen Nobody ever talks about it. Nicole Kimmel was amazing in it. The story's great. It's just a gritty uh, movie. I think, uh, I think I watched that. I think me and my fiance watched that one night. It was like, did it like like a Netflix or something? Not Netflix. Was it like a uh, like a, a Hulu movie or something? I don't know. I saw it on. I have like you know I have uh, Spectrum and like Stars oh, yeah. and all those channels. I, I don't. It was just on one of those. It's on all the time. Like every night I scroll through movies it's just playing it seems like but um uh, but anyways he was in that he yeah, he, yeah he's just uh, memorable in everything he does i did but nicole this. kevin's like unrecognizable in it mm-hmm. i don't uh, know why we watched it but we did watch this look at the production company for that movie drew it's annapurna really annapurna pictures which and it's annapurna the production company for video games hmm hmm Film, and television, that, yeah, that, video that games. company comes up a lot in our other podcast. Hmm. Sebastian Stan, hmm. yeah, good cast in it. Uh, like you said, Sebastian Stan. Seemed like there was another person in it too. Yeah, I'm, I think I liked. It. I think I liked it. It's been a while since I've seen Toby it. Toby Kebbell and Ta- Tatiana Maslany. I don't know if you guys watched yeah, that. Tatiana Maslany. Uh, Maslany. Oh yeah, we, yeah, we love Kebbell. her. So, uh, she's she's... again great, great cast in that movie. She's no more for. Warfare Black, Bradley Whitford, She Hulk. Now I guess mm. Tatiana Maslany is, but like we love, mm. she did an incredible job. If people haven't watched Orphan Black, like she owns that whole. She plays like yeah, ninety percent of the cast of that TV show, and she's like so incredible. She's so underrated. I mean, Every, I know she won, she won awards and stuff for that show. I know she did. She got noticed for that show, but like her actual experience in what she's doing with Orphan Black is it's incredible. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you all again the tangent we were talking about scoop mcnary but it happens <laughs> you mentioned he's in off. he's in some good stuff mm-hmm. maybe it's a face he has a face he's like a, like a recognizable face like when you see him like oh I, I like that guy you can't remember you said but you can't remember mm-hmm. where yeah. you really know him from but you've seen his face a whole lot of places everybody's listening just just google google him real fast he's like oh yeah i know that guy you just probably didn't know his name <laughs> you can have the next one so i guess just going 
in order on mine, I had Maggie Gyllenhaal next. Yeah. She plays Clara. She she's been around forever. She's my age. Uh, maybe you're younger than me. She was born in the same year as I was, which is weird. I don't think of her as being that old. But first thing I ever saw her in was Donnie Darko with her brother Jake. Yeah, cool. likewise. Um, but she's been in just a crap. What's that? I say likewise. What'd you say? Yeah, he saw her. He saw her in Donnie Darko as she, well. Yeah. Yeah. she kind of played the pretty girl like early in her career and then as her career's gone along she kind of plays this like more hardened female character after Donnie Darko was this movie called Paris James Spader 40 Days 40 Nights with Josh Hartnett she was one of the girls in that then Sherry Baby was like kind of like the movie that kind of catapulted her she got a I'm pretty sure she's nominated for an Oscar in that uh, made her kind of a you know, bigger name. Then she started getting bigger roles, like in the movies like World Trade Center and The Dark Knight. She took over the Katie Holmes character in that. And then, you know, again, she's kind of the, but then the thing that I mainly think about her now is because she was in it for a few seasons. And I really liked this show. Um, it was on HBO. It's called The Deuce. Uh, she played a prostitute that became a big time porn movie director and she kind of um kind of along the lines of like frank i mean it was just kind of she she made the the porn movies different and more arty than the the other people and that kind of made her made a name for in that on that show and again if anybody wants to watch that show i'm not going to give anything away because a lot of characters die in it but um well, but she, she was one of the main characters on that show uh, and again, whenever I think of Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think of the Deuce. And again, looking at so, it, it was only twenty five well, episodes. You said it was a, a show that's a, a, about a, a person making better porn, and you said a lot of people die in that show, dude. Much- and that's the thing about the Deuce; it had all kinds of stuff. It it dealt with um, drugs. It was like right on the but when the seventies moved into the eighties, it was okay. like drugs, porn, um, crooked cops. But all these different players and different kind of people, how they intertwined. It's have you guys seen like um The Wire? It's the same I've by the same people that made years, that. Yeah. But the same thing with The Wire, it was like it delved into like the drug dealers, the guys that worked on the docks, the you know, all these different pieces and how they all kind of came together. And that's how the deuce was. A, a guy that owned a bar. And like a lot of these people came through the bar and James Franco was like one of the main characters in it. He played twin twin brothers in it, but really good underrated cool. show. I, maybe I shouldn't say underrated because I mean, it was, it was on, you know, it was an HBO show. It was pretty big, but nobody really ever talks about it, but great cast, great acting. Uh, but again, that's the main thing I actually think of when I think of Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, there's two things in there that you didn't mention that I think of. She's in that Stranger Than Fiction movie with Will Ferrell and Emma Thompson. And that's one of the more offbeat, weirder yeah. Will Ferrell movies where like Emma Thompson's is a, she's like a, an author and every and she's writing a story, but she's writing this man's story in real life. And it's just kind of, it's so strange and weird. And it's not, you don't get to see you. It's Will Ferrell being semi-serious and it's not something you get to see all the time. That's why it stands out for me. It's pretty good. And one thing that makes me feel I don't know. I guess it's weird how Hollywood works because I'm, I'm sure Maggie Gyllenhaal was always was like 19 or 20 or something when she did both these movies back to back. But she literally did Donnie Darko as the sister. So she would have been 16 in that movie. 
And the very next movie she did that later that year was a movie called Secretary, where she was a super hot, salacious secretary in like an office building. Like her shirt was unbuttoned and her skirt gets hiked up. And you're just like, it's weird because like an hour ago you were 16 in a different movie. <laughs> there was more than that in that movie. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but I just wanted to bring that up and just how weird Hollywood is sometimes. Like they came up the same year and it's mm-hmm. just weird. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'll tackle our next guy. For me, I have, I have Donal. Was that who you got? I guess you could flip flop those two guys. Yeah, that they're the two main characters in the movie. So yeah, however you want to do it. I'll go him. We have a uh, Donal Gleason, and he's recently. I mean, he's been acting for a while, but I'd say recent popularity with the starting with Deathly Hallows part one and part two for Harry Potter. He played Bill Weasley, the eldest brother who spoiler alert ends up marrying Fleur and is a werewolf. (laughs) Uh, He's also in Ex Machina with Oscar Isaacs. He's the guy who created the robot. Oh yeah. We still need to watch Ex Machina. And I definitely want to, I haven't got around to watching it yet, but I definitely want to watch it because we love the annihilation. We, We watched annihilation and we haven't seen his new movie, uh, the director, his new movie, Man, I think, come out in theaters a few months ago. I want to see that, too. But we've seen Annihilation. We haven't seen Ex Machina yet. Another thing he's in is called About Time. And it's him, Bill Nye, and Rachel McAdams. And it's about a family of people. Bill Nye is his father, who all the men in their family can time travel. <laughs> but only down their timelines. And it's a weird, romantic dramedy comedy it's it sounds pretty interesting another thing he's uh it's a pretty good episode actually but he's in an episode mm. of black mirror opposite uh the gorgeous Haley atwell where he ends up dying and it is a whole Spoilers. he dies in, like the first two seconds of the episode but then it's like an ongoing thing of how ai generated conversations with dead people mm. and how extreme of course they take it to the most extreme degree and it gets weird but he does it's actually my least favorite black mirror episode by the way <laughs> it's your least <laughs> yeah, yeah i hated that episode i hate the first episode that's fucking weird was that the one with the pig yeah it's so uncomfortable and gross and weird and has nothing to do it with was so intense though but it has nothing to do with technology and black mirror as a guy who gets blackmailed it has nothing to do with the rest of the show that came after, which I thought was so weird for a pilot episode to have nothing to do with the show. But anyway, well, there's other crappy episodes. We, we usually once I think a, most of Black Mirror was bad. I feel like it was okay. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like it, then America took over and yeah, started giving America happy took over Black Mirror. It kind of it took a took a, a major dip. This isn't the Black Mirror podcast. There's plenty of those, I'm sure. And it's coming <laughs> back. And, and it's coming back. So is it really? Yeah. Thank God. I've been waiting forever. Yeah, we, we we never even did Bandersnatch. Oh, I did that. Choice choice making when we didn't even bother. Yeah. yeah, I got I got sick of Black Mirror. I, don't know. I like the one uh, with uh, what's her name? Uh, Rice Dallas read, Howard. Yeah, Rice Dallas Howard. She really oh, with the you, likes. You like everybody. It's like God, that that that's a cool episode, but terrifying as hell. Oh, yeah. We're not far from that. We're actually living part, living part. I was going to say, are, we might even be. We're there. kind of living that right now. It sucks. But by the end of that, that was a good, I like the that one. That was actually yeah. I do like Bryce Dallas. Anyway, uh, two more quick things. Uh, he was in a British zombie movie called Boy Eats Girl. It's kind of like an independent zombie movie, more like 
romantic comedy zombie movie. And then like warm bodies. Yeah. Well, I think I like warm bodies more, but it's not bad. And now the big thing, the thing that everyone in the world will know him for is he plays uh general Armitage Hux in Star Wars uh seven, eight, and nine. Leader of the uh not Republic, but the I have no uh idea who that, have no idea who that is. <laughs> he's in he's in all of them. You don't think he'd be more known for Harry Potter? I would, I would. I mean, maybe Harry Potter is what 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. But that's what he's, he was doing that. He's like, I said, he's in all three of those. And one kind of funny thing is he has an older brother who I think appears in, I think maybe the eighth one. And it's being like Admiral Huck, supposed to be playing his father. And it's his older brother who's only, only two years older than him. But they put a big bushy beard on him and made him just be his older brother. Hmm. Dad. Oh, yeah. His, his dad. People, fans of the podcast may recognize the name Gleason. His father is a very accomplished Irish actor known named um, it's Brennan Gleason. And he was uh, Knuckles McGinty in Paddington, too. <laughs> we saw our our love for him in the last episode. Do you have anything else you want to add on Donald? You've pretty much named everything. The only other thing, really, that I've seen him in recently was a movie called The Kitchen. Um, basically, it's like uh, the wives of all these small-time uh, crooks or criminals uh, kind of turn the tables while their husbands are in jail or whatever and and start running things themselves. Melissa McCarthy and... Uh, uh, what's that? Um, uh, the Black... Uh, she's, like, funny. Like, she was in... The Black actress, she's... she's She's funny, and then she has become serious lately. Octavia, was, no, Octavia Spencer. I, I love know. Octavia Spencer. I do, I do too. Um, no, no, this is the she was in that uh, the movie with all the women, and she was like the funny black lady in it. Uh, you mean Ghostbusters? God, God dang it! No, I'm in, I'm tearing this. <laughs> and that up. movie wasn't funny. Uh, she was in that movie with the that we just talked about recently with Nicolas Cage and uh, the. Weight of Unver- massive Unver- talent, weight or whatever. Of talent or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. She's the lady in that. She plays like the FBI agent. God dang it. I'm going to be like, dang it. Tiffany Haddish. Oh, oh, yeah. We just spoke. Yeah. We love Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. But she's a, she's in it. Most McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss. But they're like the women in it. And then uh, they, James Badge Dale and uh, Donald Gleason and some other guys. They're the, the the like husbands or whatever and commons in it pretty good pretty good cast uh wasn't too bad of a movie i was entertained by it but apparently anyway it's, it's based off a dc vertigo comic oh really serious comic called the kitchen really it's a dc comic yeah of just normal people i had no idea about that because <laughs> i mean the way that the movie is it doesn't seem like that at all i mean superman don't show up to that movie you could i don't know Hell's Kitchen, 1978. It's just entirely based around real people. It's, I mean, not all comic books are superheroes, but it's just strange. It's DC Vertigo, and it's this is our thing. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish. I don't know why I couldn't remember her name. I, I do enjoy Tiffany Haddish a lot. I like her. Yeah, she started out like being in uh, those funny movies, but she's really gotten serious lately. Uh, been in a lot well, of. I mean, she is a stand-up did. comedian, so. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Was it Bad Trip? That movie. Called? What was that movie where she was kind of like made her famous? Girls Trip. 
Oh, yeah, with like her and Jada Pinkett and Queen yeah. Latifah. Yeah, she was great in that. Like, she saw the movie, and then from there, she just kind of shot past all of them. <laughs> but uh, I, I can see her getting nominated for an Oscar soon. She's she's that good. And uh, there's this uh, we you mentioned Oscar Isaac a little bit ago with uh, Ex Machina, but she's in a movie with him called The Card Counter. That's a freaking dark movie. Um, she's really great again, dramatic. How 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 did you just pronounce that? What? Ex Machina. I mean, what like Deus Ex Machina is how like Stephen King says it, and whenever you hear somebody say Deus Ex Machina, it's that's how I've they say it. I've never heard it called Machina in my life. It's Machina. Hmm. Oh, well. Tomato, tomato. I'm sorry. I, mean, I just do me. I'm sorry. Let's see. I'm an ass. Yeah, sorry. Uh, since I took Donald, do you want to take the final person? We'll go with Mr. Fassbender. I, I, was, I was like, man, it, it seemed like he's been around longer than he has. But whenever I start looking at his stuff, like the first thing that really made him famous was that movie shame i don't know if you guys remember hearing about that but i mean he's mm-hmm. in a bunch of stuff before that but like i don't really know any of it like uh i guess there's like the jonah hex that goofy josh brolin yeah. uh mr cowboy <laughs> movie yeah uh then x-men first class came out the same year as shame so i was like man i was thinking he was in some stuff before all those but I had the same kind of thought when I looked him up and I was, we watched the movie with my fiance, of course. And of course, you don't, you don't really see his face till the end. And uh, she was like, as you recognize him? And she's like, no, not at all. I was like, okay, well, I was like, sure, it's Michael Fassbender. Surely you've seen, you've seen something he's in. So I pull up his IMDb and I'm scrolling through it. I was like, yeah, was, she hasn't seen none of this. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of these movies he's been in. So I, what do I know? I'm like, I guess I really just know him from X-Men more than anything i was like wow i feel like i've, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff but i really haven't mm-hmm. but he has a bit he had a pretty big impact with uh, x-men i feel like people really loved him from x-men oh yeah well i mean that's shame really i mean i think yeah, i'm pretty sure he's not made for an oscar for that uh it's sh- the director of shame it shot him the superstardom i mean he's in all he's directing all kinds of stuff now steve mcqueen but uh you know and then obviously fastbender did that full frontal scene in that and that was its whole other it's like <laughs> Like, she just gave him a whole new name for that. But um, Google that real quick. <laughs> yeah, uh, Prometheus. You know, then oh, yeah, that, Prometheus. He was amazing. You know, that just came up the year after that. I'm like, God dang, is that? That's He's crazy. Not I thought, part. Yeah, I thought for sure he was in more stuff than that. But I mean, that 2011, 2012, and then he, the the one movie I wanted to mention, my favorite writer, Cormac McCarthy. I think I told you guys the the road. Uh, he wrote that. That's my favorite book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wrote this movie called The Counselor, and great movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Great yeah. cast, freaking intense from first scene to the last scene. Michael Fassbender's character's name is Counselor, and it main star of it. Everything centers around him, but all kinds of other people are in it. Brad Pitt, uh, Cameron Diaz. Uh, Again, the cast, is, you, you can look it up yourselves, but great, great underrated movie. Nobody ever talks about it. Ridley Scott directed it. Um, Dang. I, I just can't believe nobody talks about The Counselor more. But anyway, wanted to mention that for sure with him. And then also he played Steve Jobs in the movie Steve Jobs. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I've seen, I've seen 
X-Men and Prometheus. I, I want to watch a counselor and we'll say like, we're about to talk about the movie. Like he is pretty good in this movie. Like you get, you kind of don't even without seeing his face for a large portion of it. But I, I think the the way the character changes from when he's wearing the thing to the end, I don't want to say too much right now, but when it, it end, his acting in the very end of the movie, I think is, is really, really good too. Unlike anything else, obviously I haven't seen that much of his stuff. But it's unlike anything I've seen him do before that kind of character. Uh, some of the things for me for uh, Fastbender as I was going through his roster, of course, Magneto, but he was also in, he was in Inglorious Bastards, which is, you know, everyone, you know, loves, uh, what's his face, Quentin Tarantino. He's also uh, was a character, a named character, Stelios in 300, which I haven't watched 300 in forever, so I wouldn't re- really recognize his face. Yeah. But as I was going through his thing, kind of two things recently was he has it's in some sort of post-production hell but he is in kung fury 2 and i don't know why that movie hasn't come out yet but last time i looked it up it actually says it has an estimated date of coming out in november later this year so i'm actually pretty excited about that because kung oh, fury one was his character <laughs> kung fury is fantastic god damn laser raptors <laughs> It, uh, just the, recently, the I development, saw... the, the thing that stuck out to me was the Wild Bunch. Uh, it's kind of a shame that they're remaking that, I guess, but arguably one of the you know most influential movies of all time with its violence, the original one. But uh, that's kind of interesting that they're remaking that. But it just says rumored on that, so who knows where that is. Oh, and then uh, Night Boat to Tangier, I noticed that he and uh, Donal are both in that. So that's kind of interesting. They're... Hmm teaming back up again uh, he also has he, he did some like horror movies early on which i thought were kind of you know i guess people just doing whatever he has a movie called eden lake which i'm kind of in, interested in watching that seems pretty good but then he has another one called blood creek which i'm genuinely interested in watching just because the people in this movie you have dominic purcell henry cavill and michael fassbender in this Nazi-inspired modern-day horror movie. <laughs> it seems so weird. Which one's that? It's called Blood Creek, but he has something coming out real soon that I'm really excited to watch called Next Goal Wins, and that's uh, directed by Taika Watiki. Yeah, we're big Taika fans. Yeah. And that trailer looks funny. But something I did, I kind of just figured out on the on the fly when I was skimming through some things as a refresher. He's in a movie called A Dangerous Method, and it is directed by a podcast favorite, David Cronenberg, (laughs) where he plays a Swiss psychologist. So we might have to look into that movie and add it to the podcast because we need as much Cronenberg in this joint as we can. Before I just list off his... When did that come out? It's in 2011. A, a, A Dangerous Method. Kieran Knightley, Viggo Mortensen, that, that come up. Vincent we, we talked about him in multiple podcasts, and that never came up before. Mm. Yeah, it's uh has a uh, has his favorites in it too. Vincent Cassell, Viggo Mortensen, and he's got Kieran Knightley. That's gosh, I don't even remember. Like, huh? <laughs> Weird. But it's uh sounds interesting. Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, like you said, yeah. Huh. Now, before we just list off his entire IMDb page. <laughs> yeah. Are uh, you ready to kind of like dive into the movie, Steve? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It's always fun talking about the actors, though. Like 
How I know. I love talking about that stuff, but we're here to talk about the movie, the actual movie we're here to talk about. All right, to start it off, tell me how the band name's pronounced. Okay, so the Strafapunburns. <laughs> the Perufusburns. I don't know. There's um, surround apparently... perfers. <laughs> there but there's even names. a scene in the movie where the girl asks him what the band is, and he's like, or she's like, "How do you pronounce the band name?" He's like, uh, "I don't know." <laughs> he looks back at them. He's like, "Ah, Strafabums." There's actually a whole in on the on the Blu-ray. There's like a two-minute little featurette of all of them trying to pronounce the name of the band, hmm. which I thought was pretty funny. Strafabums. For everybody in podcast land, it's spelled S O R O N P R F B S. So pronounce it however you want to pronounce Strafabums. it. Soren Perfibus. Soren Perfibus. Soren Perfibus. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So he kind of picks up, we we're following Donald Gleason's character, uh, John Burroughs. And he just, I don't want to pick on the guy too much, but he, I guess he has like delusions of grandeur. He wants to be this epic musician. And so he's trying to write songs and he doesn't get anywhere. Like he, and they're awful. <laughs> Some of the songs he's singing are pretty awful and none of them have the same genre or tempo. And he's just trying to make things and it's not going well. He works at a boring ass job, which and they never even go into detail on it because of how boring it it's is. Like an he office just, job. It's just an office job. But as he's kind of like going through the motions of of you know this life, on his way home from work one day, he sees uh was it a cops and ambulances swerve down onto a beach that he's been walking along every day. And there's this man just trying to drown himself in the ocean. <laughs> Lucas. Lucas. The like, keyboard player for Sarumphus. Because it kind of goes by... Like, the, 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 the whole beginning of the movie goes really quickly. Like, I'm not missing any beats. No, you're not. You're right. And so they finally... The police and the ambulance wrestle this man from the ocean. They wrap this blanket around... You know, one of those warm blankets. And they pull him out of the ocean. And right beside them on the beach is... You find it's the... um the band manager for the Stossum for Burns. <laughs> and they're kind of, he's just kind of casually chit-chatting. And he was like, oh yeah, that's our keyboardist. He's trying to drown himself. He's having an emotional breakdown. Which is Scoot McNary. Yeah, Scoot McNary plays uh, band Don. manager Don. The original keyboard player, we find out. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out, he's like, well, we don't have a keyboardist to play tonight. And John kind of goes jokingly says, <laughs> I play keyboards. Just like and, in real life. And he's like, can you play C, G, and F? He's like, yeah. He's like, cool. And he turns around, he walks to the van and has a conversation with somebody in the van. And then comes back and says, meet us at this address uh, tonight at eight. And John is ecstatic. He's in a band. <laughs> Yep. Now, we don't know if the band's any good, any bad. 
but he's excited. But he knows they're playing somewhere and they have posters up. They're being advertised for, so he's he thinks he's famous all of a sudden. We, you know, and one kind of cool thing is having watched multiple times the movie multiple times through. When he sees Lucas, the 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 band's keyboardist wrapped up in that blanket, being loaded into the the ambulance, it's like a glimpse into his own future, though he doesn't know it yet. That he would be a broken, shattered, shriv- you know, shivering man with a crazy beard, and it's funny just how much that that that, that you know that that is. So that's them looking at himself in the future. Do you want to go ahead and take over here with the uh, the 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 first band? You're talking about the first performance. Yeah, the first performance. So yeah, I mean they 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 have the first performance. He he goes there. He's, Again, does know any of these songs, and it's almost like the band. I don't know, but it's like the band just kind of don't they just like they start playing, right? They just kind of just eat. start playing. No, no preamble, just start mm-hmm. playing. And it's just super experimental sounding. It starts off kind of weird, but then it kind of gets into a groove, and you kind of get into it the way this music is. But Frank, the, the band's playing, then Frank comes up. And it's just that he doesn't even really sing. He just kind of talks about basically whatever he's seeing or it's always about something weird. Um, Well, I think the point of that song, all the songs have a point. I think that song's about something to do with the ocean and polluting the ocean, which is why he comes out in a wetsuit. Yeah. And he always has like you, and that's a guy I was going to mention that later on, like, one time he's like wearing a dress almost and mm-hmm. he's always wearing something like you said i was going to mention that as well it always kind of has to do with the song but uh but yeah so they're, they're playing and then there's like a a spark or like something there's like an electric shock and uh clara gets shocked and she storms off the the set and the basically the performance is over after like not even one song right the, the, yeah they get to a groove john's excited he starts kind of doing some backup vocals and singing some na na's or la la la's and then like you said something i don't know uh over taxes something and some sparks fly they lose power she screams yells what's at that people. instrument called that she plays it's a, a, a theremin yeah and she just starts screaming and that's it Boom, night's over with. <laughs> the band is done, the song's done, and we kind of just pick up with John the next day. So he's, again, going through those motions, not knowing what to do, and just kind of depressed he that he's not famous. And, hmm? Does he get a phone call from him? What is it? I think later that night, or I don't know how many days later, but it's like two or three days later. I wasn't sure like how that, that timeline are in. So it's like a couple days later, you said? Yeah, it's 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 got to be it's less than five, but more than two. I don't think it's four. I, I, I think it's like two or three days. Does it say? I don't think so. Not that I can remember. Yeah. So, but basically, like we we're saying, he gets a he gets a call, and they they basically invite him to do uh, like a project, and. <laughs> They don't tell him how long he's going to be gone. He's like, oh, we you know, do this. And he assumes that he's just going to be gone for a weekend, tells his job that he's, he'll be back on Tuesday. He's going to take a long weekend. And he goes off with this. Just from Burns. 
and it's like a remote Band. cabin. Uh, and again, this we should mention this is in Ireland, like all of uh, Abramson's movies. But they go to this remote cabin out just in the middle of somewhere in Ireland. Uh, but and like you said, Blake, it's like he's like how because they're showing him they're showing him this room like this is gonna be your room, this is gonna be our room, and it's kind of it's it's kind of spread out like on a gr- the grounds like there's it's different like a, yeah. buildings and. He's like, how long are we gonna be here? He only he didn't he say like I only packed like one pair of pants or yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, what? He's like, I, I told work I'd be back on Monday. And Don goes, why didn't you do that? <laughs> so <it's, laughs> I love how he's, he's like, why didn't you do that? <laughs> but uh, then he finds out that they're gonna be actually recording their debut, the entire debut album <laughs> there. Just kind of a. Like an ad lib by uh, Scoop McMary, is after he tells him he's like we're here to record an album, and he just stares at him and slowly slides that door closed and just stares at him unblinkingly. <laughs> that was a hundred percent Scoot that wasn't in the script. That was just something he thought would be absolutely hilarious, and it kills every time they they showed the movie. That's cool. And then okay, we're gonna quick kind of pause on the movie and talk about some musical stuff right here. We're going to go through a bunch of uh, montages, but I figure we can kind of talk about this and skip through the montages because the gentleman who wrote all the music for the the movie, his name is Stephen Rennick. And so what they did during these montages, they're experimenting with music and true sound and this, that, and the other, these bunch of different terminologies for noise. So what happened was Steve Rennick, because he knew that this is the direction the movie was going to go in. He says anytime they were going to film a scene, especially particularly this log cabin area and this, uh, he said he went there like a week ahead of everybody. And he and his sound team literally recorded everything. Wind blown through grass, the doors opening and closing repeatedly, shoes across the just any single noise they could come up with because he wanted to have, he wanted to be able to allow people to, um, I can't think of the word, to improvise and just grab right. random things and do that and not have to worry about inventing a noise. He already had it. They like took the spindles out of the back of a chair and put like strings there and, mm-hmm. and tried to play. Yeah. They, they just did anything they could think of over the course like of Vindy a straws and Yeah. And so I just wanted to talk about that because some of these these montages we're about to go through for this the essence of music, it literally has them. He has like a boom mic and he's making small jumps. He's pouring water from buckets into a uh, a sprinkler. They like you said, like Steve said, they have little bendy straws. They're using micro instruments of someone's got a bendy straw. Someone's got one of those pill capsules that you pop the pills out out the back, or like like you would do with um trident gum or whatever mm-hmm. and someone's shaking little what do you call them like creamers and there's it's all it's just a, a massive and they do it twice maybe even three times with these massive montages so i'm bringing it up now so we can kind of skip through the montages when we get to them Does that sound fair sure yeah and this guy like you said Stephen rennix or however you pronounce his name rennix, rennix. he without him i don't see how this movie could have been made he, no. uh, he he got experience. He played with all kinds of weird, from his own words, like weird bands, French and German nightclubs. He was a part of using a band called the Prunes, a 
art punk band, which is kind of basically what Sauron for Bruce is. But uh, again, this guy just seems like a really unique guy and has a lot of great experience. And I don't know how they could have found a better guy for this. And obviously, Abramson got him like they already worked together on the movie you mentioned earlier, what Richard did. So Mm -hmm. but again, this this guy just brought something great to this movie. And uh, uh, again, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how this movie could have been made without that guy. He sounds really patient too i'm sure it wasn't Very easy patient. to work with these actors you know and they they learned these instruments and then they actually played these songs live as they were shooting and this yeah, guy all the recordings like, were live they only have one uh, or maybe they have two no they might have more but for the movie everything was live but i think they released an album you know soundtrack for the movie and they did some studio recorded versions of some of the songs to kind of clean them up. Mm-hmm. Um, the the songs that I know for sure they sung in studio, one was called Tuft and the other one was called El Madrid. And I want to put those, hopefully, uh, if, you know, I can get Drew to put them, at least clip it into the actual. Is El Madrid the credit song? Yes. Okay. Just give me some names and stuff and I'll be able to hold it after the podcast. Uh, but with Stephen Rennick, one of the cool things and also kind of like intense things, he said with every scene that it required a song of some sort, including that opening performance, if they'd even play the entire song, was he said between him, Lenny, and uh, someone else. I forget. The, I, they said the person's name, but I couldn't remember it on the uh, commentary. But uh, Stephen Rennick would write anywhere from three to ten songs per scene that required a song and between the three of them they would pick the worst one (laughs) which has got to be a weird thing for a musician because you want to make good music but he was purposely making bad music and then having to pick the worst thing because that's how this (laughs) story works but it's it's, it's, that's an intense amount of effort anywhere from two three to ten songs yeah in the scene and this shows you we're a lot of times we don't, we don't even mention the music in movies. And a lot of times it's at the very end of our podcast. We're spending this much time at the beginning of the podcast on this guy. I mean, that's how important he was with this. You know, this whole movie is about music, though. Right. Yeah. It, but he, he worked with the Abramson again over and over throughout their careers. So he's been a busy guy. He's, he's extremely, extremely talented. And so we go through all these... These series of montages, which are also semi-character building, we we, we, we kind of get in, introduced to the other members of the band. Like I said, we have Frank, the front man, who wears that giant paper mache head. I don't think we really spoke about that early on, but he wears a giant paper mache head and never takes it off. God, did we not mention the, that? We actually didn't. <laughs> oh my god! We actually—that's like the whole it. point of the movie, pretty much. Yeah. Well, that's wow. why when Blake said he picked this movie, it was it was on the it's on the front of the case of this movie. And Blake's like, "What the hell's going on with this movie?" That's why Blake you have this movie. We forgot to mention that in, in the opening thing when he because we said wow. he came out in a wetsuit because for us oh we were god. used to seeing the head. We didn't think the head was weird because we watched it so many times. So. Right. He has a giant paper mache head on, and it's you can see on like, it's been damaged and fixed. And there's actually a um, there's a microphone. Matter of fact, in the opening 
first performance, he has a cord that hangs down that he plugs yeah. into because he already has a microphone in the mask. Like he walks out and is it Claire or one of them comes up and like and latches it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also got like a built in fan and stuff. So he gets hot in there. And anyway. again, this is all real. Uh, this guy that again, John Ronson, the writer and Donald Gleason's character, John Burroughs. So both of them named John and then Frank, Frank Sidebottom is the real person in real life. And it was a band called Old Blimey Big Band. But he wore the head, the exact same head, the exact same style, like head, blue yeah. eyes. Yeah, pr- all, looks exactly the same. Again, this guy wore this, but there is like in in real life, he he would take it off and around, like he would wear it for long periods of time. But he would take it off, and he wore like a clip on his nose and stuff like that. And his nose actually became a little bit deformed from wearing that clip on his nose whenever he put the mask on. But in the movie, he. He literally never takes it off. They they have they have a conversation later about how he lives with it on there, but and like you said, they have it's it's geared towards him being able to breathe and be comfortable in it. But in real life, he would take it off around close friends and stuff. Um, but he would wear it for long periods of time. So again, all this stuff that we're seeing in the movie literally happened in real life. Go ahead, Blake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know, I was just all right, so we kind of go, you know, get you know, character building and we're getting all these characters and we're getting introduced to the other members of the band. You got Frank, the front man, Clara, the Thurman player, Nana, the drummer, and then Baruch, the guitarist slash bassist. He's French. He only speaks French too. Right? He, he only speaks French, but everyone else is, uh, uh, you know, he either likes them enough that he's, he communicates with them. Uh, but he just hates John. And so does uh the drummer. Yeah. Those two are like those two are like peas in a pod. They're like connected oh, with yeah. the hip pretty They're much. Definitely. The drummer and yeah. And neither one of them like really nobody likes John except for Frank. And Don. Don a little bit, I guess, yeah. And so like we we go through these series of like events and uh character building and stuff trying to bring the group closer together. And at one point, uh Frank which was again ad libbed by Fassbender. Uh, Frank uh, chases John with a shovel at one point just to try to get his shrieks on tape because he wanted a surprise scream sound. And then all all these you know just comes together fruition. And then like a night or two into this, Don sits down with with John, and John's like, "This is this, you know these guys are so amazing, such." such talent and these guys are so crazy and you know is i want to be just like them and be amazing and he's like trying to write songs and be you know he's feeling the energy and being creative and he's mentioned that he wants to try to have you know put some of his songs forward to the band so they can try playing them together and don sits him down how do i explain this okay the two things that happened earlier is don has a, a chit chat with john about how he first met Frank and that they had met at a mental institution and Frank, you know, he he had the mask and that's kind of, but he was completely normal otherwise. And when asked, when John asks uh, the manager, Don, uh, he's like, why, why were you there? And he's like, well, I like to have sex with mannequins. And you're like, whoa, okay. (laughs) That's just completely out of left field. 
you think he's joking, like you know, like he just says trying to say something funny, but nope. Nope. Yeah, that's 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 what he likes to do. And what he then, said is what he said, like Donald Gleason, like he like kind of looks at him like <laughs> and what did he say? It's a disorder. Like dead serious. It's a just well, I can't remember his exact words, but he's like, It's a he's disorder. Like, it's a disorder. <laughs> But I, I, I forget, we've got to kind of like mention. Like it's that. all right that I do it. It's a disorder. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he does something similar to what Frank does is a couple of times in some of their travels to the 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 cabin, they get pulled over by cops, and he's like, "I have a certificate. Do not take right. my hat off. I have a certificate. It allows me to wear this mask at all times." <laughs> <laughs> and so there's just a couple of little comedy bits. It reminds me of the the movie The Joker where he has that. Like, whenever he gets nervous, he laughs oh, yeah, or whatever. The, the, he has the laughing thing. Yeah. He pulls that out. So it's very similar to that, I guess. But anyway, um, you know, Don's talking, telling him finally this night mm-hmm. after he, they've been for a couple nights, he's like, don't. Don't try to pretend that you're Frank. Don't be Frank. It's impossible to be Frank. And then John goes, what do you know about it? And Don sits down and plays him an actually a pretty nice song eh. <laughs> it's a pretty okay. nice song it's a pretty nice love song but then as the song goes on you realize that it's a love song to a mannequin <laughs> <laughs> he's like why don't you just lie down and let me in your still waters won't flow but let me in <laughs> as the moon glistens off your glass skin please let me in <laughs> and you're like oh my god it's a love song to a mannequin. It was dubbed Ode to a Mannequin. <clears throat> and that's just an uncomfortable moment. Yeah. Everything with Don is pretty much. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the f- following morning, uh, we have a, a nice little thing between Frank and John. Actually, it may have been the night before the Ode to yeah, the Mannequin. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. It's the, it's the day prior, which is what leads to the the mannequin stuff yeah but he literally tells john that if he just lets go he can write a song about anything and it doesn't matter and he literally writes a an off the off the cuff just with the guitar and off the cuff about a song about a single tuft on a carpet and i think it's funny because uh what's his name steven rennick and michael fassbender each spent about a day and a half researching carpet carpet mm-hmm. and carpet manufacturers and stuff like that to to have some verbiage in their heads so that they could together make a song about that single tuft of carpet and i do want to admit um like i said everyone's playing their music live and michael fassbender is really singing there's yeah. no stand-in they michael fassbender is doing the all the singing because michael fassbender is what he's irish i think scottish irish uh, but he's singing like with this, how do I explain it? Like this Midwest American accent, like a Kansas accent or something. Is Which what is he where he's like, his from in the movie. Yeah, it's where he's from in the movie. Yeah, but it's weird. Like it's, it wasn't expected coming out of Fazbender. But anyway, we get to the morning after the Ode to the Mannequin. And so they ha- there's a knock on the door. And they're like, who? who's knocking on the door we're supposed to be making an album who's who's interrupting us and don hides and no one goes to the door (laughs) 
no one goes through the door. So John just goes, walks over and opens the door. And there's just a, a German family supposed to be on vacation in this cabin. Now, kind of a cool thing is initially in the script, it was a rival band that was supposed to show up and they were supposed to have like some confrontation, but they couldn't really afford to hire other a whole other band <laughs> and have like a, uh, they wanted to have like a little battle of the bands thing right there on the front lawn, but that too costly. And so they're like, what, what else can we do? And they started kind of like thinking and they thought that it would be funny to take advantage of Michael Fassbender's uh, ability to speak fluent German. And so they, they had, a, a, they changed the scene. to instead of being a battle of the bands, it's Frank, this large, paper mache head man takes the hand of the wife and then just walks away. The husband, everyone else just stands still and they have a, an intense conversation that we have no idea what is said. Yeah. Everybody's watching them like through the window. We're, we're like inside and we're watching it. They're like way out in the yard or whatever by the car. And we're just watching all that. But this part, like, I, I didn't understand any of it because Again, why did he, why was it just him and her? Why did the husband say there? I don't know. You don't know what he says to her, but and then she I'll, let you, some, I'll let you finish this, and I have something else to say about it. But go ahead. But see, I I think I have to do. Are you really going to talk to a giant man in a paper mache mask? I mean, you're kind of scared. And they also didn't speak a lick of English. And I think the fact that Frank could speak German, he maybe he reassured them as he took the wife's hand and then they had their private conversation, but whatever they speak about must've been incredibly poignant because it scene changes and they're the family's back in the car. And she, she tells Frank, thank you for opening my heart to this new light. And then they drive away. <laughs> and like, so, while they're watching them, they're, they're like, ringing oh, yeah. around like Dosey Dolan. Like he's kind of dancing with her out there. And Oh yeah. It was just, I don't know. It was just odd, but I wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. So obviously they weren't supposed to be staying there because that family was, but then Don's like the, the payments do and we don't have any more money or something like that. And that's when John dips into his nest egg or whatever and pays for that. Right. So mm -hmm. like, were they, were they staying there? Or were they not? Like, why is, how all of a sudden is he paying for it? And, I don't know. I was just confused. I think he had paid up to a certain point. And then I'm assuming that this week, it kind of leads you up to like read between the lines a little bit. Uh, maybe they no one was supposed to be staying in that cabin this week. Like they were supposed to have moved out, but no one was really checking on the cabin. So Don just let it go. Hmm. So like maybe, maybe somebody contacted him all said, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's like kind of unsaid, but it was just confusing to me. But I don't know if maybe I missed something, but OK. But I, during a lot of this stuff, some cool interactions with Frank happen between him and John because they're getting along. And John says that it's hard to talk to him sometimes because his head looks so weird. But then Frank responds that faces are weird, too. They're smooth and smooth and smooth, but then they're wrinkly. He's like, mouths are just unhealed wounds to me. So they're weird looking. <laughs> uh, but then he he and John have a more conversation. He's like, would it be easier, since you can't see my expressions, 
if I verbalized him, if I vocalized him and said, you know, half smile, winking, gleeful chuckle. Yeah. And he says, yes, that would be fantastic. Make things a little easier to read. And then that, that, that joke goes on for a while. And then we, the, again, they kind of accost Don about there being no money. He said, John says, you know, his grandpa died, left him a nest egg and he'd be willing to help them. Which so, basically means pay for everything, food and everything. And so now we have a, like a change in in, in tone for the movie where we, we, as soon as he says he has a nest egg and that he'll pay for it, pay for some of it, we immediately jump 11 months. Do you want to take over from here, Steve? Well, like you said, it kind of jumps. Donald Gleason's got a big beard now. His hair's longer. Everybody else looks the same, though. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's nobody out there to, like, cut hair or anything, any of that stuff. I guess they're all doing, taking care of themselves. But, yeah, Donald looks like he's been on a deserted island. He's, like, sneaking outside, getting the... He's basically saying that they've dipped into his nest egg more than they thought. He's sneaking outside, getting the groceries, talking about having to have to ration them. And, but they're pretty much coming up on the end of the album. right? Oh, and one thing that we, I guess we need to mention, and you kind of talked about it, where he's like chasing with the shovel and mm-hmm. uh, just Frank does some pretty over-the-top things. And uh, they have a, a word that they use, chinchilla, like is basically their safe word. So whenever things kind of get out of hand or whatever. Um, I just want to make sure we mention that because that kind of has a big part yeah. in the movie. But Well, I was um, going to get to that is during this 11 months of their friend exercises and and, and character building, uh, there has been uh, several confrontations with Clara specifically because she hates John and is very vocal about it. To a point, she threatened him when he's making dinner one night. She pulls a knife out of her bra. I guess I'm not entirely sure where she pulls that knife from. Is it where uh, she's wearing the robe mm-hmm. and they're like, it's kind of open and they're showing her yeah. bra. Yeah. She just pulls the knife out and says, Hey, if you do anything to hurt Frank or the band, I will stab you. And then she stabs a potato and eats it and walks away. Yeah. And then, like you said, the chinchilla thing, while they're doing some of these group exercises, they're doing, um, what do you call them? Suicides. Those like when you're back in gym class and you'd run like to the lines at half mm. court and then back and they're like doing suicides just for for inspiration. And every time someone messes up, Frank yells and says, someone's thinking too hard about this. And John goes, oh, it's me. I'm so sorry. And Clara just cocks back and just <laughs> boom, punches him right in the face. And then that's when we get the the explanation for during these 11 months, they come up with a safe word when things are going too hard and people need to take a break. And it is chinchilla. Also during, during all of this, there's kind of an ongoing montage of you first see John real early in the movie, basically lie to Twitter. He's like been working on songs all day, getting ready for lunch. And he has like 14 followers. Now that he's been with the band for 11 months, You've seen that his Twitter profile has he's got he's gained many more followers and he's been throwing up little videos and notations about the band's recording and the fact that Frank has come up with a whole new way to write and read music and all this. And it's weird because 
when it's happening, he's not hiding it at all. He has his phone out in front of his chest recording. And it's not till a little later in the movie when we get to it, but they freak out on him and like threaten to kill him for secretly filming them and putting them on the internet. But he I, has well, the phone out. I think I think they didn't mind that he was filming them, but whenever they find out that he was putting them on the and what does he say? Something like Frank's like two three one seven one. What's that mean? And it's like that's how many views this video has, and Frank's kind of excited like, by that, flattered by that. Yeah, but nobody else's at all they like being in this and it was the same in real life too they talked about uh there was a something that they played at with forty nine thousand or like 59 or i'm sorry like fifty thousand people in the crowd and they said it was forty nine thousand five hundred more than frank sidebottom had ever performed in front of like oh, yeah. that's how it was in real life too and he he did not like playing for stuff like that whenever he did he would find a way to self-sabotage it or something and that's pretty much exactly what's going on here. It's like nobody wants to be a part of that. But Frank is kind of flattered because he is this genius and he does know deep down that he is. And he's kind of flattered that people have liked that. But at the same time, he has like once he's realizes that the pressure's on, we kind of see what probably sent him to the mental hospital. He has these nervous breakdowns. Just a little so. bit. So we jumped ahead a little one whole scene. Uh, there's a very, very important scene that happens before John reveals Twitter to everybody is the band finishes recording the album. And it's just like a, a just a huge sigh of relief. Everyone's ecstatic and they're all clapping and like, we did it. We recorded our, our, our album and it's amazing. And it does, he even does it like the way he blocked the shot and everything is you definitely can tell when you're on subsequent watches, but on your first one, you don't really notice anything's wrong. But uh, I guess it, this is a full spoiler podcast. I said that way earlier. This it ends up being the last supper for Don. Even how everyone's placed in the, in the blocked in the shot and everything is like for like a brief moment, they all hold a pose for like one second where it freezes and then everyone moves on with what they're doing, like cracking open beers and drinking beers and having a good time. Because the following morning, as John comes out of his room after he's like brushing his teeth or whatever, and he spits, he is uh, shocked by a sight, something that he can't, can't comprehend. It's uh, Frank hanging from a, a, a tree branch uh, in the morning fog. So he runs inside grabs all the other members of the band, uh, Baruch, Nana, Clara, and they run out and they get his body down somehow. And then they bring him back to the shed and they're trying to perform CPR on him and wake him up. But just as they're like performing like chest compressions, Frank comes in from his morning run and they all freak and they look down at the body and they pop the head off and it's Don. Don has hung himself because he, again, was, I guess, mentally unstable in and of himself. Well, he and... tells, uh, what are the words he uses? He confesses to John that he feels he can't live up to Frank's prowess. And he's kind of been like like that the whole mm -hmm. time. So it's like that pressure finally, I guess, maybe finishing that album finally got to him. But di and didn't they show, there was a scene where um, John sees Frank in the shower. He hears him in the shower and he sees the head. 
mm-hmm. like sitting on the floor. And then he goes in the shower like he wants to see what he looks like, but he's wearing the other. So he's wearing like a separate heads. head that's got was a that paper ba- a plastic scene? bag on it in the shower. Yeah, was that before this scene? Did we know? Did we know there were two heads before? It was just before. So we did know there were two heads. We, we it was just before or masks, goes, yeah. I guess. Okay, a little bit of foreshadowing. And yeah, so you're like, right. That, that literally happens right before the the social social media thing. So well, yeah, because because this is um. This also is like an elevation for the band, like because it kind of turns them from normal people to like uh, like a myth and a legend, because all this stuff that John's been putting on the internet, people don't believe is real. And one of the last things they do is with with Don, they have a a funeral pyre on a lake. They put him and it's a really sweet little wedding, not wedding thing, little funeral thing. But they put some of his favorite things onto uh, this little boat and push it out into the ocean. But one of the one of the funny things, it's, it's dark humor because it's just uh, Irish black comedy, is someone inst- put, inst- puts a bouquet of flowers down. But instead of it being like a bouquet of flowers, they have the flowers stuck inside a mannequin arm, which is like very sweet, but also kind of twisted and messed up. But it also <laughs> proves that they that person really knew Don. And that he had a thing for mannequins. Okay. <laughs> there was a joke between John and Frank were talking and uh, Frank asks him if Don has mentioned the mannequins and John's like, yeah, yeah. He, un- you know, he mentioned it to me. He's like, okay, cool. You just know that he's cured. He's out of that. He actually, he's having sex with real women now. The challenge is when he has to try to convince them to lay completely still. <laughs> there are a lot of like, little subtle jokes like that. And just yeah. tiny little bits of awkward and uncomfortable black humor throughout the whole film. But then we have the the funeral pyre. Is it called a Viking funeral, isn't it? When they yeah. like set them out to sea and like set it on fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. And since they, they don't really have an, it's just a lake. So they let it burn all night or all day and all night. And then the following morning, uh, they pull him back into into bay and they start putting his ashes. Frank does by hand, which seems very unsafe and un uh I can't think of what I looking for. Uh sanitary, unsanitary. But he's stuffing his ashes into this container of this substance called Gronut, which earlier in the movie we've talked about that is Frank's only form of sustenance. Is it's just this vitamin powder that's blended up and he drinks it through a giant straw and so they they take all of his remains or as many of them as they can fit into this jar and it's and they start heading back to the cabin and then this is where john gets a a, a tweet a direct message or something from uh the big big music festival down in tech is it texas south by southwest yeah is it is that down in texas yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's South by Southwest. And they're like, hey, we want to ask you a quick question. DM us. And he was like, that's strange. And so he DMs them and he finds out that they want the Straffabums to play at South by Southwest. And he's like, but I can't make that decision. And they go, what are you talking about? You're the manager, right? So he's essentially, he's, he's elevating himself. First, he was nobody. And then Lucas left the band, who was the former keyboardist, and he's now become the keyboardist. Before that, 
Don was the keyboardist, and then he became the the manager, and Lucas took over for Don. Now Lucas left, and John has come in and become the keyboardist. But now Don's dead, and so he's become the keyboardist and the band manager. So he just keeps asserting himself into different positions. And this is when he reveals to everybody about the Twitter, and they get real mad. I think Clara threatens to punch him, or she may actually punch him, and he yells chinchilla again for recording him, you know, recording all private things and all this stuff. And then he explains, like you said, uh, Frank is confused by what those numbers are because he lives in his own little world. And like I said, well, I'm just going to repeat everything that Steve just said, so we're going to kind of jump past that. And so... They basically head off to South by Southwest, right? Well, like that night, uh, while everyone kind of thinks over what's going to happen... Oh, the sex scene? I was say, yeah, now? Clara accosts him, and he finally stands up to her. And like he's standing outside with a cigarette and a hot tub, and she's coming to yell at him. And he's like, I can't hear you over the bath bubbles... She's yelling at him even more, so she starts hitting the bath thing, turns the bubbles on even louder, and they get heated, and he stands up and yell, calls, just calls her a huge cunt. <laughs> just yells it at her face, drops the C word hard, and he stands <laughs> up, he's yelling at her, he's seething, and she's looking at him, and he's naked, and they just hate fuck one sex. another. Yeah, like she tries to drown him while they're having sex. <laughs> He's like banging his head against the side of the thing and holds him underwater. And then, you know, everything's said and done. He has himself a, a very self-satisfied little cigarette. Like he did a good job. And he's like, "So what do we do now? Is things are gonna get awkward since you and I are together now?" Because he's so naive. And she goes, "I I hate you." <laughs> I, she really does. She just can't. Him, but I just thought that was just kind of funny. So, yeah, they like I said, they I'm trying to think they decide to end up to go to South by Southwest. John convinces them, but they're going to give they're going to spread Don's ashes. I don't really know why they end up going to the place where they do to spread them, but this is a scene that was one of those ones that during the commentary, both Stephen Rennick. And uh, Lenny talked about it killed every time. It was just hilarious because they get to this a canyon, this ravine, and they're going to spread Don's ashes. They're going to th- take a handful and throw it. And Frank's given this really, really heartfelt, sweet eulogy. And he's throwing up these ashes. And then every time he throws up ashes, it all the ashes just hit their basis, Baruch. Just right in the face and on the coat. And he's so filled with rage, but he's also at the part where they're spreading ashes. so We can't say anything. And they quote, they said it takes one hell of an actor to be able to steal the scene from being out of focus. You know what part part I'm talking about, right, Steve? Yeah. 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 Where they're, yeah. uh And so he's, he's throwing handfuls and handfuls and it's, it's hitting Baruch. And some of it is starting to hit everyone else because the I was wind's gonna say, picking it hits up. Else too, yeah. And then Clara like licks her finger and dips it in the ashes and then and licks her finger again. John's like, oh, he's like, oh, it's gross. And she just goes, it's fucking grown up. And they're like, what? And it's like, it's grown up. That's the wrong can. We brought <laughs> the wrong can. And Frank is just defeated. He's like, we brought the wrong 
can. <laughs> and he just and he sadly walks back into the van and they ride down to South by Southwest. One thing to note about Frank too, and this is a good point to do it, I guess, but he really is like really childlike, you know? Yes. He's, he gets like, super excited about little things. He's nice. He Everybody else is just mean and evil, it seems like. Like you said, except for maybe Don. He was just too messed up and weird to be mean, I guess. But mm-hmm. Frank is just eternally happy and uh, it seems like optimistic and good with where he is and like just little things like that like like you said that he he just really seemed real childlike whenever he, he realized that and uh but he's always real playful and super nice to john welcoming to john welcoming to john's ideas nobody else is you know john will say we should do this in a song and frank's the only one's like that's a great idea you know he, he says it like that too you know like you'd say to like a little kid like trying to encourage him but uh, I always thought, I thought that was pretty cool about how Frank was. He was he was just a good, kind-hearted dude. Yeah. And so, I would imagine that's exactly how uh, he was in real life as well. I would I would like to hope so. It's a good it's a good nice reminder. So, so we, they continue the trek. Yeah, to you South take, by you, I've been talking for a while. You take over, Steve. Do they do they get they they go to like it's like a. A, like a registration place yeah, right to register they meet those two girls that are like all excited to see them there and they know all about them and um they end up going to like to a, like a ihop or something they're the ones happen. that ask john how do you pronounce the name of the band yeah that's where that scene is you're right he <laughs> he turns around and he turns around and asks them and nobody says anything and basically the subject is immediately changed so we never really find out how to say the name that's the whole joke in the movie i guess but yeah so they go to like this IHOP place, and this is where they're realizing that twenty three thousand isn't as many views or as many people as uh, John was hoping for. They're like, if you really want to be big, it's like what five hundred thousand or and all these numbers. Like Frank's like, it's like just crushing he's him. He's getting def- he's, more and more deflated. Yeah, he's starting his nervous breakdown. He like literally almost hides underneath the table during this breakfast they're all having together and. Later that night, he basically just go ahead. Real quick before you go into that night, just a little behind the scenes right here. They had a hard time filming this scene because they didn't know what they needed Frank to do. So Michael Fassbender was uh, improv improving a bunch while while as Frank. Sometimes he would just flip out and just run away, run off scene, and he would just be doing laps around the restaurant. But they felt that that was too much, and so other ones just had him just be completely still. And then, like the the final one ended with him being sunk under the table, but because Michael Fassbender is a a little prankster, <laughs> oh, because the once he goes under the table, it turns to uh, John and these two South by Southwest girls, and they're explaining that you need more numbers, you know, if you like, the higher numbers, but they couldn't get these scenes right because while uh, Frank was under the table, Michael Fassbender would feel up. Donald Gleason just like run his hands <laughs> up and down his legs and tickle him while they were trying to do the scenes. And it just made it really hard for him to do. <laughs> and I just think that's great to be able to just have that much fun on set. Yeah. I and that's the how lead. Good, I wonder how close those two dudes are. Yeah. So just like, like filling him up while he's under the same <laughs> But yeah, that that's a good little tidbit. I like that. But you you can definitely see that. You can definitely feel that in this movie. I bet they worked. Because, I mean, those... And that's another thing about this movie as well. It's like, 
those actors are together like in every scene pretty much it's not oh, like yeah. normal movies where there's a scene where these two actors there's a scene with these two actors it's like that whole group of people are literally together from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie so i bet they did spend a lot of time together and and get to know each other like that so that's that's good that's a good tidbit i like that you can take over for me i just wanted to mention that before i i don't want to like jump back to it 10 minutes from now yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you, uh, I, I like how you watch these commentaries, you always have little bits like that. So definitely chime in or whatever, whenever you, you have one. Um, but that night, like, so in my opinion, like maybe the biggest part of the movie, it's like really turns everything. Like at this point, well, Frank kind of had that like nervous breakdown, but things are still on track. And you're really like through this movie, I don't know about you guys, but I was like really wanting them to like, everybody to find out like what kind of band this was and um that that point where somebody becomes famous where that that tipping point comes from somebody like that being discovered it's always neat you know whether it be a director or a band or a writer or anything it's always neat where that somebody turns that corner and this is kind of where that is but that night again this precious gets to frank and he takes off and clara goes with him and john's trying to find, go ahead well, before before this happens, what's his face? John's trying to convince him to to be more likable. Do, do, do you remember that part? Are you talking about the song? Is it that? And he writes that song. He's like, yeah, he, almost he's like, like we have to be ever. more likable if if we um, tell that part. Like, I don't think I don't know if Frank's capable of being sarcastic. I couldn't. That scene was confusing. I was like, is he being an asshole or is he being like he's just being weirdly, genuine. weirdly genuine? I think whatever. I don't want to call him like whatever mental autism affliction whatever, he yeah, has, yeah. Uh, autism, yeah, whatever he has. I think he does. I think he can't be mean. I think he's just genuine. And particularly uh, to John, like again, everybody's mean to him, but he's open to everything John says. And but John's like, we have to write more likable songs. I think we can get because he's he does some research and says that whatever, like pop punk, is more popular this year than any other year prior. So he's trying to like get them to like write more favorable slightly more mainstream songs because that's what's big at south by southwest and so frank gets real excited and says hey let me play you my most likable song it's just awful and then he plays his most likable song and john can't he's just ugh, a big sigh and eye roll but clara is excited she's like that's your most likable song excellent frank she just she's so excited Hopefully you can find that scene. It should be pretty easy. Frank's most likable song <laughs> scene. Because that's just, it's a good, it's a funny little song, little ditty. I dreamed that one day I'd have a band member who shared my vision of creating extremely likable music. So thank you, John. You gave me the little push I needed. Okay, enough chatter. Here it is. My most likable song ever coca-cola lipstick ring go dance all night dance all night i've got dancing legs Woo! i've got dancing legs they won't stop the dancing no they won't stop the dancing kiss me just kiss me kiss me nephrodity just the way you like it just the way you like it kiss me kiss me lipstick kiss me lipstick ringo that's the way you like it
This is your most likable song ever? <laughs> yeah. People will love it. Actually, actually, Frank, I think that we could push the likability even further. <laughs> no way. You're shitting me. How? Can I just... Um, what did you, what did you start? Well, what if, I don't know, we regulated it a bit more? I love it! Yeah. I love and it! And then maybe, you know, um, if we put an F down here, that would be good, wouldn't it? You should be famous! That's so likable! John fixed it! <laughs> Lipstick Rango, kiss me, kiss me. Lipstick Coca Cola, kiss me. <laughs> Whatever he's singing, it's really That's the fun. Song? Hmm. I can't remember how it went. It but John like has a bunch of tips for it, right? Rango, kiss me, kiss me. It was, and again, the best part about all of it is it it is Michael Fassbender singing. So it's just an a wonderful thing. And then it gets to that night, which I think was what you're about to talk about. Well. But John has a bunch of like, maybe you should do this with it and that and that. And which, which is, yeah, he's like, well, why don't you try playing an F chord here and bringing this over here? And he try, he's trying to make it more structured. Yeah. Or his version of structured. Anyway. Frank's completely open to it. He's like, yeah. that's a great idea. He's like, we can become even more likable. <laughs> Yay. He's just genuinely excited about completely like a like 10 year old kid. Mm hmm. And then later that night, it leads to what what where you're at. Is so does does John go to look for him and he can't find him? I can't remember well, like because it's that... time for the um it's time for the show to start. I, he's given the uh, itney. I can't remember how he finds him though. Like he's looking for no, him. They're given the he, you guys are on up next after after that band finishes. You guys are on up next. So he's got like you know thirty minutes to get everyone together. And he just and he walks goes, outside, and that's where he see he just happens to see him out there. Or? Well, he he goes to Frank's room, and Frank's not there, and no one's there, so he runs outside asking. He's like, "Has anyone seen a man with a giant, big, fake head?" And then, of course, someone's like, "Oh yeah, I saw a dude with a giant head go down that alleyway just a second ago." He's like, "Okay, fantastic." And then it leads to you, I, the scene I know you you're trying to talk to about. Well, yeah. So I mean, this is like. Again, everything is on track. We're excited. We're getting to see that. And like you said, John goes out there and finds him. And he's with Clara. He's not by, he's not alone. He's with Clara. And John's like trying to get, he's trying to pr basically pressure Frank to go on stage. And Clara is just protective of him from mm -hmm. the beginning of the movie to the end. Uh, like you said earlier about that song and everything. She's always protecting his, his ego, pr always out for his best interests. And, this really gets out of that John's trying to to get Frank to go in there. She does not want. She can tell that he doesn't want to. It's going to break him if he goes up there. And she she told John earlier in the movie, uh, "I will stab you if this goes sideways." Whenever we get to mm -hmm. South by Southwest or whatever, she wasn't lying. So she stabs him, and he basically has her arrested. <laughs> go ahead. Well, because as you see, because he pulls his phone out, he's recording her. Mm -hmm. And trying to like don't you know don't you come at me where i'm you know i got evidence and she's like i told you i was going to stand she just stabs him right in the thigh while he's recording <laughs> and then a fight breaks out and then like someone random person from the alleyway holds on to her while the cops detain her and everything and then, but uh, you, you gotta love a character who holds up on their promise 
right and a writer who because for me i i love comedy for me some of the best forms of comedy are callbacks i think that they're because they require so much more effort and you got to have some be paying so much more attention for the payoff of them they're great i love callbacks when it comes to comedy they, they think they're they're wonderful but you keep going steve this Sorry. is the crumbling third act basically it all starts right here so like you said, key point, I was going to mention that he recorded the whole thing. And obviously, like everything else, he posts it online. And again, that just gets it. They basically become like almost like this myth, like it's more than a band now. It's almost like a soap opera people are following. Mm-hmm. It seems like than than wanting this band to be famous now. But in John's head, he's creating like just hype for this band and for these performances and their performance on South by Southwest and but again, within within Twitter land and social media world, people are just like, what are these crazy people going to do next? Is basically how I, I saw it, like how mm-hmm. America or whatever is looking at them. But uh, so he posts that online. Claire is arrested. She's obviously not going to be a part of the performance. Then uh, is it Barack or Baroque? I'm not even sure. It's Baroque. Baroque. He and Nina quit. Na- na- Nana? Nana. 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 <laughs> I think it's Nana. the band. Huh? I think it's pronounced. I think it's Baruch and Nana. Baruch and Nana. They quit the band. So now it's basically John and Frank. What is, what's, I can't remember Frank's, what, how is he whenever they quit the band? Does he even He doesn't know, fully understand because John's taking care of him now. So he just assumes John's his friend and taking care of him. Because when, because he, John rushes him onto the stage. When he gets out there, the other people aren't out there, and that's when he realizes, which is what causes everything else to roll. So I, you know? I'm trying to remember that scene where they quit. Is it just is it just them and John? Frank's not around at that point. Basically, well, I think yeah, basically. Okay. So yeah, like you said, that's because that's what I was envision. I, I was thinking that, like you said, Frank just comes well, up on stage and nobody's well, there. That that's the scene you talked about where Frank's getting ready. After Clara stabs him and gets arrested, they come back and he gets Frank into a dressing room to get ready. And while he's getting dressed, that's when Nana and Baruch uh, quit and just they say, we're not going on stage with you. And they leave. And then Frank rips open that curtain. He's wearing that dress and he's got all that makeup on the paper mache mask. <laughs> he's like, let's go do this. What do you say? What's he say? Let's... What is his line? What's his exact line? I don't have the. You have the movie playing in front of you. What's the exact line he says? Because it's a pretty good line. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to go to it. Hold on. Here it is. Let's fuck. <laughs> That's what he, <laughs> he says. Let's fuck. Yep. Let's fuck. <laughs> he rips the curtain back, wearing that dress and all that makeup, and just says, "Let's fuck." <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, he's like, "Let's fuck." So yeah, Frank, Frank, and. John walk out all by themselves. He like he said he has that dress on. He's like holding his hands out. The crowd's super excited. And then damn John walks up there with the guitar looking all goofy and he's like, we're gonna play some acoustic stuff. <laughs> he says, Hello, South by Southwest. This is the greatest sound of my life. Yeah. Bless his heart. It's been a crazy 24 hours, but we're still here and we're still the scene. He says the band name, says it wrong. But the crowd's cheering, like you said, he says unplugged. The girls, people in the crowd are screaming chinchilla. Like again, all these people are following the soap opera online. 
and he he basically just has no idea like what Mm-mm. you know what what to expect and like, like i said earlier he delusions of grandeur yeah and we didn't mention he did we make we didn't mention his song that he wrote like there was that one key scene where Claire is like making fun of him like tell us one of your songs play one of your songs for us and he can't really play one because he doesn't really have any real songs and then so from that point on he's trying to write a song he writes a just an idiotic song and all he does is say la 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 but he obviously is just playing chords on the guitar and frank actually helps him with it a little bit so this is the song he chooses to open up with and frank it realizes just terrible music you know he's like what does he say that music shit <laughs> He he's like, the music down the is ground. shit. He's like, that music shit. <laughs> I think I think Frank's realizing that there's no Clara, there's no Nana, mm-hmm. and there's no Baruch. It's just him and John out there, and it's awful. <laughs> he he basically screams like some kind of weird shriek, falls down to the ground, and John just keeps trying to play, and he's like leaning there. He's like, "What the fuck? Oh my god! What the fuck?" You know, trying to get Frank up and. Frank's just laying there having the nervous breakdown. John's still trying to play. Those two girls that were checking him in that were all excited about him were like, oh my gosh, sitting behind oh, yeah. the curtains. It's just the the it couldn't have been more of a disaster. They basically get booed off stage and or whatever, trying to check on Frank and make sure he's okay and get him up. But it from there it cuts to the next day, and the two of them were in a rundown motel together. Oh, there's one little thing before that. They come back to, to, to I guess to the the break room, the green room where the band hangs out because uh, Nana and Baruch are still there because they found out that he had he'd, he'd panicked because she I think Nana is like taking care of him like rubbing his hand while he's uh, while Frank's on the bed and Baruch's by the door and then John walks in and goes man how is he and Baruch <laughs> this is a really funny thing Baruch says something in French and John freaks out like he's dead. And he goes, no, 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 asleep. And then you realize, like, if you're, you're like, this dude who spoke French for an entire year actually speaks English, but chose not to. So he didn't actually have to talk to John. That's how much that he didn't like John. I I, I didn't know where that part was because the immediately after that, they're in that hotel room the next morning. Does that happen like later on in the hotel room? I thought that happened there before the hotel room it literally cuts from the stage to the hotel room yeah i don't i don't see that part blake but you know what part i'm talking did that did that happen after claire got arrested it it happened in that part yeah okay i I thought i must have it i'm so sorry no no it's cool i'll just because it goes straight from that to the hotel when it's just the two of them and he's like the he's telling me stinks He's like, I made this for you. Use it. And it's like a, a like sponge a wrapped some... around a hanger. Yeah. That's so disgusting. Just think what that must be like. Oh, yeah. And then it just kind of dissolves. Like they get into like a a fight. Well, he starts he tries trying to get him to take that mask off. He's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. He's just like, take the mask off. Take it off. Take it off. And then he literally reaches for it and tries to pull it off and frank just leaves runs freaks out of the hotel out. room yeah freaks out runs out of the hotel room runs out to the street and gets hit by a car the mask goes flying off but frank is gone and uh the guy that hit hit him with the car is 
gets out and all all uh john cares about is did you see what he looked like because he's like did you see what he looked like because the mask is laying there oh yeah what but, but before that whenever they're arguing there's tape all over the mask how do the how do the mask get damaged we don't really know because they've been living in that hotel room for a, a little while now okay yeah, they don't really say you're, you're right. That you the, really the timeline's hard to follow, there, but they, they, we'll say they've been living in that hotel for at least a week. Yeah. Or so. He gets hit pretty good with that car. <laughs> yeah. Frank gets hit. Well, that's another thing. They um kind of behind the scenes thing here during the um the commentary is the uh that's the hotel scene was one of the only scenes actually filmed in, in California in LA. And they said most that, of it was filled in Ireland and Mexico, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that scene, because the, they even talked about it, they're like, we were so not used to. He's like, he's like, they just kept uh, bragging and complimenting how good Americans are at stunts. He's like, for us, he's like, we would have did a couple of different like jump cuts. We would have got really close with the car, then had the the actor jump and roll into the car and did like another shot of him kind of being pulled off with like some sort of pulleys. He's like, no, he's like in America when they did this scene, he's like, they literally hit the guy with the car and he tucked and rolled into the windshield. He's like, there wasn't, it was a man and a car and that was it. It's well done. It looks legit. And they were, they were just, they kept, uh, you know, bragging and, and complimenting the Americans on how well they did stunts because they thought they, the dude really got hurt. That's cool. I thought that was pretty crazy. And then yeah, John, John, John watches it happen from the like the hotel room door, basically, because Frank just sprints out of the hotel, runs straight out into the street, gets hit, that awesome stunt. John runs from there to out to the car, and as he turns the car, he sees the mask just like shattered into like three or four pieces and the guy the driver of the car standing out there and john's like what did he where where did he go what did he look like there's no body it's just the mask so now we know frank is without a mask and he's out and then john is immediately hit by a car himself (laughs) (laughs) and he's he's not as tough as frank he's actually hospitalized (laughs) he's put to a hospital he's got a broken hand he's got the neck brace on and again, another like there are all, all these time lapses. I don't know how long he's in the hospital, but <laughs> it could have been a day, it could have been a week, who knows? But he gets out of the hospital and basically, how does he know like where to go? He goes straight to that bar, basically, right? No, no, no. He um he goes to eat at some Chinese restaurant, and then people are making fun of him as being the chinchilla guy. Well, yeah, he's talking to that one guy there. He's like, You're the chinchilla guy, I know you. He's like, you look but so how does familiar. He know Why do you look so familiar? And then he, he realizes that he's the chinchilla guy, and then he gets all this kind of like, he gets angry, because that's what he's known for, is the chinchilla guy. <laughs> and he gets kind of real upset about that. He's and, finally kind of let in on the joke, I guess. Yeah. And then he's trying to find Frank, because the person, that person, while he's laughing at him, slash with him, he thinks he's laughing with him, but he's actually laughing at him. He's like, I got to find Frank. I got to find Frank and figure this out. I've ruined everything. I got to find the other the other band members and maybe they, they know where Frank's at. And so he just starts kind of wandering. And this it, it that's kind of, where I was kind of confused because like you said, he leaves the restaurant and then he ends up at that bar. I guess he just 
I don't know. He tracks them down somehow. Time is a little social hard media to, I guess, to track. Because what happens is he's going through and he finds a um an ad, I guess. Come see the this, you know, come see this band at El Madrid. And the band is called the or band and he's like that has to be clara so he then goes to this band goes to this uh place called the el madrid and he lo and behold he's right it's all three of them it's clara baruch and nana playing music but it's clara is being the the front person the front man mm-hmm. front woman i'm not sure what to say there and they you know basically tell him to fuck off they hate him they say leave we don't want anything to do with you go whatever and see he and he just accepts their hate he's like i get it i've ruined everything yeah he gives them a sincere apology he feels terrible and he like really he does said, yeah. and then he because this movie's a little twitter heavy uh he does reach out to twitter he's like hey guys can you help me find frank and then it goes through him like basically like a solo road trip to a bunch of these different places where people are chiming in and sending him on wild goose chases or they'll like just like the real world he's getting a bunch of links to hot singles in his area and, right. stuff, and stuff like that and then he's gone on several wild goose chases and finally someone reaches out to him and is like hey DM me I think I might know where Frank is and he you mean he's like he's like thank you so and so please don't let this be another joke i'm genuinely trying to find frank i don't want any jokes and they send him a pin drop and it happens to be in bluff kansas and he remembers don telling him i think he's from or i know he's from kansas or something like that so. yeah he's he's from he, well, he actually he specifically says he's from bluff kansas yeah that's where he's from that's where i met him in the psychiatric hospital up there and so now uh, it makes you wonder why he didn't just check there to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, he, I mean, he, he, that may not have been his first thought because that was a passing comment in a conversation a long, a while ago. Right. You know, almost a year ago. And, but he, once he sees the, the city, he's like, Oh, it just sparks on him. Like it sparks on the audience. So he goes again. I don't know where or how he has all the money to do all this driving. That's a little, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? Suspension of disbelief there to, he just magically has enough money for these cross uh, cross country trips, and he just and, said he didn't have money to pay for the hotel anymore, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Maybe he got some money out of that settlement from being hit by a car. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? So we get here, we get to Bluff, Kansas, and then he speaks to somebody who he thinks is Frank. There's a little kind of funny thing where he's like this heartfelt apology, and the guy's like, "Dude, I don't even know you." I'm just the tree search. I'm here to cut these trees. He's like, oh, my bad. He like turns around and sees this weird dude in a big puffy vest drinking some juice or something with these big black sunglasses on. Through a straw. Through a, yeah, he's drinking through a straw. And a woman approaches him. And mm-hmm. this woman we've talked about in a previous podcast, Tess you, Harper. You have it. Which I was just gonna say, she plays Frank's mother. She was in uh, her alibi, and we talked about her a lot. She was in a lot of Bruce Barris for movies, but I thought that was a cool little, you know, she was only in it for this one tiny little scene. But same thing with her alibi; she was in that movie for that one scene. But again, very accomplished actress, but she has this one little 
part plays his mother and then we basically cut to the inside of the house and John is sitting down with his parents Frank's parents John or uh, Frank's over there like what kind of like is he just looking at like books on a shelf or something I think he's just looking at books on a shelf yeah yeah he's kind of over there in La La Land while John's talking to the parents and the dad says he said this is my fault I made him his first mask for a like some kind of a play or something. Some Halloween party when he was 14. And uh, it basically just spiraled from there. And they, you know, he kind of gets a little insight on him. But that's pretty much really all that's unveiled there, isn't it? Not too much. They say that he's always been a little off and but gifted musically. But like all stuff we already knew, basically. Yeah. But they're just kind of like cementing it. Yeah. Yes. I was hoping for a little bit more here, um, a little bit more insight. I don't, again, I don't, unless I'm completely missing something, I don't think they really, other than that, his dad talking about that first mask he made him, but I guess we pretty much assume that he's been wearing it since, you know, for that long. And uh, I guess we should mention he has like, now that we're seeing him without the mask. I want to say deformed or disfigured, but he has scars and bald patches from where the mask has been rubbing up against. Mm Mm-hmm that spot forever yeah he he doesn't look too bad but like you said yeah he does he's kind of like this he's scarred a little bit and there's like patches of on his skull where hair is not going to grow anymore it looks like but so we basically again there's not a whole lot unveiled there and we pretty much just cut from there to back to the bar well john apologizes to frank and basically takes it upon himself to fix what he has broken but they and don't always really show how like he convinces him. Like you no. said, he kind of yeah. It's just kind of like the next scene is they're walking into the El Madrid. He sits at the bar. No one pays him any attention, and then there's this random dude in a blue puffy vest walks up to the stage, but he's like very aloof. And then they've, I think, one by one, each of the band members slowly realize that he is Frank. And he wants to make music with them again. And so he then ad-libs a song. Based on what he's seen at that. Literally based on what he's seeing and smelling in that bar. And I want this song to be played because it's actually a really sweet song. It's actually the best. They went out of their way to make sure that this song was actually good. He didn't write a bad song. He wrote a weird song, but wanted to make sure, Stephen Rennick wanted to make sure that this was a good song song and it's it, uh, from my understanding i think it's called el madrid you can find it anywhere you want and it's it's, it's a generally sweet song that to tie up the movie i'll probably play out the podcast instead of playing it right here i might play out the podcast with it mm-hmm. and then as they start because they start they start chiming in and they start singing together and the music swells and the band is back together everyone's back together and the camera turns to to where John was sitting at the bar. And the only thing there is he has a cigarette he's put out in the ashtray. And he is gone. But they do cut to the outside of the restaurant. And he's walking down the street. And he's just, yeah, she's yeah. just walking away. And then we hit credits. Still playing that song. The song plays pretty much through the entire credits, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, through the credits. There's something else in the credits, but yeah, that song plays through the majority. What else is in there? Well, there was something else, wasn't there? What was there? In the, in the credits? Or was there? 
maybe I'm just because it has all those cool like, like oh, the, images the and circles and yeah. It's not normal like scrolling credits, does it seem like? Mm-mm. It does start scrolling, but those colors are still going. But yeah. Do you have anything you want to add before you give your rating, or did I miss anything? Let's see. I wanted to talk about a cool, and I posted, I put in our chat a link to the story that I read. It's basically the story that's in the Guardian. But one cool thing, uh, you know, that Frank Sidebottom, Chris CV, right? Mm -hmm. He died. Unfortunately. uh, I think only like 54 or something, but he, he gave his blessing to make this movie, to have it written. Um, but he died before it was done. And one kind of the last time that John Ronson saw him, he complimented uh, Frank or Chris Seavey on him losing weight. Like he looked good. And then the next time he heard about him, he, 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 he saw something posted and it said uh, Frank Sidebottom dies and the first thing John Ronson thought was, why Why did he kill off Frank? Why did he kill off? Why did he decide to kill off like that persona? Like, why did he decide to kill off that persona? But then he realized he really died. Yeah, he and died when he down. saw him when he was thin, he he had lost that weight because he had cancer. Uh, mm. So that was, I thought that was pretty, you know, pretty profound. But they had a really good relationship. They worked together on some other stuff and. But just much like the movie, then they kind of separated and went their own ways. And then out of the blue, they kind of started talking to each other again. And that's how the, the movie kind of, the talk about the movie. He, he uh, Frank Sybottom, Chris Seavey actually had a lot, of, a lot of back taxes and he was in a lot of trouble. So he kind of found himself in a position where he needed to make some money. So that played a big part in him asking uh, John Ronson to write this to kind of get the word out that uh he'd be touring again that he'd be doing music again but then he he kind of he died with with no penny he died basically penniless uh chris Mm -hmm. cv did frank frank sidebottom did and within like hours hundred like twenty thousand thirty thousand pounds or something like that were donated they had to tell people to stop donating money because people were sending in so much money so they were able to, you know, give him a good funeral and everything, but they, they, they didn't think they were going to be able to give him a funeral because there was no money. But then all these people, all these fans that they didn't realize were out there started donating money. That's awesome. I like when like when the internet does good things. Yeah. yeah he, was, just... he was 54, died when he was 54. But uh, again, pretty, uh, pretty interesting guy. He collapses home. His girlfriend called an ambulance. He was taken to the hospital where his death was confirmed. June 22nd, 2010. He had throat cancer. Yep, that's uh, really the only thing that I wanted to add. I thought that was... It is interesting and sad. that kind of, We could have got to see some sort of cut of the movie. Yeah. There's a lot of... In that, that article I sent, too, there's some YouTube clips built into it of some uh, and some pictures yeah. of the real Frank Sidebottom with the mask on with John Ronson in the 80s. Pretty cool the... article. I'll have the link attached to the show notes for anybody listening who wants to see it. Uh, but let me see. You know, there are some other guys, Daniel Johnson, Captain Beefheart, were some of the other inspirations for uh, this, the script and these characters. 
But uh, again, I mean, pretty much everything you see in the movie is in some way, you know, true. I don't, the character of Don, I, from what I could see, I don't know, like, if any of that happened, if somebody really died like that, that might be some uh, Peter Strawn additions. But, uh, and again, I mean, Peter Strawn, uh, you know, the, the, he's pretty much the, the, the screenwriter of this movie. And, John Ronson's the storyteller. So anything that's kind of like thrown in there, I'm sure that was some Peter Strawn stuff and the constructing it into kind of a a movie form was on him. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Did you have anything else? Uh, I have one thing I'll add when I get to mine, just kind of like a cool little, well, I can go ahead and say it now and then I'll get my rating. Is that um, for ADR, you know, ADR is additional Mm -hmm. digital recording or something like that. Uh, so they thought that it would be okay for Michael Fassbender since his face was covered up with the mask the entire time that it didn't matter. They could just have him come in and say some, you know, some cover up lines or additional lines and it would be okay. Cause they could just, they didn't have any lips or anything to sync up to, but it, they, they couldn't, the, the physicality of what Frank was doing during those scenes and stuff like that. Couldn't really just have random words thrown over. So they ended up having to re-get the mask for Fassbender to do his ADR in so he could match the physicality stuff to what he was doing to make his to make his words fit the actions better. And I, thought, I just thought that was kind of cool that he, he had to redon the mask for mm. ADR. That is interesting, like just to make it consistent. Mm-hmm. Past that, I don't really have anything else. To, I have a tagline that I'll throw on at the end. But other than that, if you want to... Uh, do whatever you're going to do. Do your rating first, right? Yep. I'll go into it. So I was not a big fan of this movie. I didn't like the characters, like none of them. <laughs> I couldn't relate to any of them. To be honest, I don't even really like any of these actors. Like I'm not a big Fassbender fan. I'm not a Maggie Gyllenhaal fan. I'm not a Donald Gleason fan. The only actor I think I mentioned at the beginning that I really like out of all of them is Scoop, to be honest. I just, every movie he's in, I almost feel like he steals it. And to be honest, I mean, to a point, I think he kind of stole this movie as well. But those, like, th- that type of music, I I obviously don't like. Like, that kind of experimental art house, like, weird stuff. Um, it was, no doubt about it, Stephen Rennick's, what he did was was cool and amazing. The patience he had and everything to make this, uh, I commend him. I'm not a big uh, Abramson fan. Uh, Room was a decent movie. The performances were great, but the movie was just decent. I told you I turned that other movie off that he made. To be honest, it was it was kind of hard to watch this movie a second time, but I did. It was that there was that scene too. Like I felt like the writing was tired. Like again, that end. I wanted something more profound to happen, especially with the parents. Something more to be revealed. Um, there's that scene where John's talking to Don and they're talking about how that mask works. They're like, well, how does he do this? How does he do that? How does he do that? And Don answers a few questions. He's like, look, man, you're just going to have to go with it. I'm like, you know, if you're going to get into it that far, then answer all the questions. If you're, if you don't want to answer all these questions, then just right off the bat say, look, we have no idea. Frank's, uh, you know, he's private with all that stuff. We don't know how he does it. 
say something like that, but don't like half fans. I don't know. I just, I was, that kind of irked me, but I just, I felt like there was a, and again, we talk about all these time jumps and there's just so much that was just like filler. Like, I guess this is what happened there. I guess this is how they feel about that. But I don't know. I mean, it was, it was, it was probably, to be honest, out of all the movies we've watched, my least favorite so far. I don't know why, but I don't, it was just something about it. Like, the characters, the I just couldn't relate to any of it, and it was in the again that that entire third act. It was just depressing. I read, you know, this movie actually got really good reviews, and it has good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. But somebody, uh, one person, did say something like that third act was just like a complete downer for me, and it ruined the whole movie. And that's kind of how I felt. But um, man, I'm giving this movie one chinchilla out of five. Oh snap! Our, our first one, yeah, one chinchilla out of five. Yep, that is <laughs> that is something. When I first and you know when I first turned it on, and Dona was you know that that entire like beginning part where he's like trying to write that song, mm-hmm. and, like that was just annoying to me. You know, it was like Ugh. yeah, and Red it lady, just, it never what got you doing better, with but... that bag? Lady in the Drew Breast, where you drew, you know that in yeah, like, it was uh-huh. just it, and everything was a, a different genre, Ham a different. And she's patine, panini. Yeah, yeah. I I I feel you. <laughs> that's that's crazy. That is our first one. Like I said, you you said you weren't a fan of all these people. Um, I love Fassbender. I love Michael Fassbender. Everything he's been in, I have at the very least enjoyed him in it. As far as like you said, Scoot McNary, he's only in it like for Fastman's <sighs> only truly in it for like five minutes, I guess. You know, yeah, that's the other that's thing something too. else we didn't really even mention. He literally wears that mask the entire movie, and then it's like the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, but like he's still in there. It's his voice, and he's doing the physical mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he's still acting, yeah. which I give yeah. him, I give him credit for for an actor who loves acting so much. That he's not going to show his face. Yeah, you know he he he. he I think he did a very good job. I love Michael Fassbender. Again, not the biggest Scoot McNary fan. I love Monsters, but that was really about it. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Eh, I don't have anything against her, but she's not a reason I go watch movies. Uh, and Donal, I'm new to Donal, but I I do enjoy him. But again, it's it's it was Fassbender for the win for me. But he wasn't everything in there i could see this being someone's favorite movie like i could really see this being someone's favorite movie they watch like once once a year or something i could see that but for me it 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 ticked a lot of boxes the very cyclical storytelling how it ends where it begins honestly and i just eh, like i was i'm contemplating selling the movie Still, like I've, like I'm, I'm gonna have a hard time recommending this. Stop finding someone who's gonna enjoy this. I don't know who to who to give it to, but I was able to finish it. And like you said earlier, I had a hard time wanting to go back and watch it a second time for the commentary. But I did it. I did it because I had commentary and was something new. God, I did see for me. Okay. Anyway, I'm not gonna justify it. Yeah, (laughs) it's uh. I'm going to give it two verbally expressed facial expressions out of five. Can we ever give something zero? 
uh if you absolutely hate something i, I yeah i mean it's there are things i hate worse than this so I, I feel bad giving it one just for that reason because i know there's gonna be movies i hate worse than this because i know there are movies i hate worse than this but well, see my thing is i was able to finish it now don't it was a drag watch it to, to pull myself through a second time but we finished it yeah. like something i couldn't finish would be skin marine skin marine gets a zero yeah like I couldn't even finish that movie. So I don't know how it ends. I don't care. I give it a zero. Like something like that. All right. So we can do zeros. This is not a zero. There are a lot of promising things about this. There were, there was good acting that the work that Stephen Renick said was amazing that, you know, again, it's, it's not atrocious by any means. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Mm -mm. Likewise. All right. We, Kind of poked at my pick twice during this podcast. I did once when I made the Fargo reference with this actress having this. The Fargo was the first time I'd ever seen this actress, to be honest. And she was just flat out amazing in it. I've become a fan of hers from that episode, from that season of Fargo. You mentioned this movie earlier when we were talking about was Alex Garland. I can't remember, but. You mentioned this movie, Drew, and you said that you guys were going to watch it. And I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to shut up because I, I I can't even give anything away. But my pick for the next movie is <laughs> the drama fantasy horror film written and directed by Alex Garland, starring Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. Interesting enough, was the star of that Black Mirror Pig episode. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Men. Oh, shit. Oh, Nice. Nice. Because we do want to watch that. Yep. It's just called Men. Yeah. Men. I've, I've, I've only I've seen the like because I, I think I mentioned before the pocket, me and my fiance, we go see horror movies for date nights, and I've speak, not seen that movie, but because it's in the horror, it's horror adjacent, I guess. But it, yeah, it I, its trailer shows a bunch of horror movies back when we saw, but I haven't I've only seen the trailer like twice. I was like, okay, I mean, I'll go see it. That's awesome. Yeah. It gives us an excuse to bump that up the watch list. Because yeah, Alex go. Garland is he's the guy for um Ex Machina and Annihilation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Give us a reason to talk talk about those movies as well. I will say I've seen this already. Okay. I want to know what you guys think of it. It's an interesting movie. I'll just say, say too that much. as a little teaser. <laughs> It is a I don't British think you guys have seen anything like movie. this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's that's awesome. It's funny that I mentioned the movie earlier in the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh god, don't say it. You like shut your dirty whore mouth. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to get our hands on that. Like, is it? It's it's out out now, ain't it? Is it out? I think it's out because we because we, we missed it in theaters. It's out on TV. Like I see it on TV all the time. Okay, we'll we'll just buy it somewhere then. Cool. Oh, and I'm putting something else into the chat for you, okay. Blake, that I that I found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in the chat. How do I pull it up? Am I stupid? It At the very bottom of the screen, just hit chat. Sorry for those who we we all got quiet for the podcast. <laughs> I won't cut this part out because it's funny. But uh, Steve sent in the chat the correct way to pronounce do sex. I say machina as well. I've heard it as Machina my entire life. Yeah. How do you say it the right way, Steve? Apparently, I mean, in Latin, it's it's it comes from a Latin phrase, and it means I don't know if you guys know what it even means, but Ghost of the Machine, God from the Machine. Oh, God from the Machine, yeah. 
But Stephen King There's... talks about it in non-writing because it's a plot device. Basically, yeah. where an unsolvable problem is immediately resolved by an unforeseen or unlikely event. And he talks about it, and he says deus ex machina whenever he's talking about it in the book. And that's the evidently that's the Latin way to pr- pronounce it. But um, people here, like in America, I guess uh, nowadays it's pronounced like you guys say machina. But Latin's a dead language. Why are we trying to... no, like, <laughs> right. just, there's a right way to say it, but people don't care if you say it the other way, I guess. Look, everyone who spoke Latin's dead. We and again, won, the only I reason think... I say it like that is because that's the way. And you know, the movie, the Alex Garland movie, may be pronounced Machina. I don't even know. I need. I, I guess we need to look at that. But, um, but the only reason I've ever said that is because that's the first time I ever heard that phrase was Stephen King saying it in on writing, which came out in like 1999 or something like that. So. I've heard him saying it like that since then. Cause he, he has that audio book. I tell you guys, I listen to all the time yeah. and he's, Blake, I just hear him saying, I it. did listen to it. Well, I did listen to it. I did. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not a writer. Anyway, I thought that was because we probably will be saying that movie on the next podcast. Yeah. We so. have to, the dude's made what three, we, yeah. we know the three of his movies. You know, isn't that why we mentioned men? Didn't yeah. Because we? I mentioned, uh, you said, you said something about do sex, do sex mocking. Was that in the, now I'm, because the podcast been going for a while. Was that in the podcast? Was that pre-podcast? I can't remember. Because me and Blake said we'd seen Annihilation. That was in this podcast. It was in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even podcasting too long. I can't remember when your conversation was. Was it during or before? Who knows? Right. Uh, yep. So that's the pick next movie, uh, Men. So go ahead, Drew. Uh, yeah, very excited to watch that, actually. It's funny that we followed that director for so long. It's like, oh, man, I can't, well, one of these days we'll watch Deuce Ex Machina because it looked really cool. Then we ended up watching Annihilation however many years later. And here we are again going to watch his third movie before going back and watching the movie that we initially found him for. Still haven't seen this, first, that, which might not even be his first movie. Yeah. I, see, I don't know. This is this is, this is is what Google says. Deus Ex Machina. Machina. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that's how... It, like That's it says, just the modern pronunciation. It's also pronounced like yeah. that. All right, we'll wrap this up real quick so we can get to go night night. Go night night. That's we're tired now. More grown ass man. <laughs> all right, uh, we'll start always by thanking Greg Bennett for writing the uh, intro song for this podcast. We always love hearing it and dropping it in there. I want to thank Devious Pixel for providing the art for this podcast. Me and Blake have been working with him for many years now. He provides the art for our other podcasts as well. If you want to keep keep tabs on this podcast, uh, when we record, when stuff comes out, or if you want to get into contact with the podcast, you can do uh, the Facebook or follow, find us on the Facebook or Twitter just by searching the name of the podcast. And we have the email address as well, which is action.themoviepodcast at gmail.com. All these places you can do and write in uh, movie suggestions. This was episode 26. So coming up on episode 30, we'd like to have another movie suggestion from somebody that listens to the podcast. If not, me and Blake have talked back and forth about, about another way to pick a movie. But uh, I'd, I'd rather it be a, a listener come in and pick a movie for us. Cross promotion for I just mentioned it. Me and Blake have a, another podcast. This this podcast kind of backdoor piloted off of that one. It's a lock, stock, and two spoken controllers. That is mostly a video game centric podcast. Uh, but Blake does talk about movies. We talk about movies occasionally on there, and I talk about bands and other things. It's a pretty fun podcast if we do say so ourselves. And Blake, of course, has self published a short story through amazon amazon kindle store if you have kindle unlimited it's it's free in there you just have to search for it 
you search they come this night it will pop up uh pretty much right away if you don't have if you don't have kindle limited uh, the stories is just a dollar on amazon so like would appreciate your support and that kind of stuff uh, links to all this stuff to all these people places and things and all that good stuff links to that and the uh web so the website that steve mentioned all the links to that stuff will be in the show notes of the podcast, if you just scroll down a little bit, you'll see it's, it's easier for you to just click on links to follow us or, or write to us. And uh, like, like, like we have every episode, we thank the ones that uh, listen, stuff like that. And uh, I want to thank Steve for hanging out with us. We like every time I say this is uh, our excuse for every couple of weeks to hang out with a, fr- a good friend of ours because we all got busy lives and stuff. We, we live in different cities, but this is our chance to, you know, do talk about one of our favorite things in the world, which is movies. So, we just love doing this. So mm-hmm. that's all I got to say. Uh, we'll be back in a we'll couple, maybe a week or two. You know, we're, we're not on a set schedule. A uh, week or two, looking forward to talking about uh, men. Men. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining men. Oh, don't, oh now I got to end that podcast with that song. <laughs> It'll be so, uh, but if any, uh, if, if the trailer is any indication to that style of movie, that song will be very inappropriate for that. <laughs> Anyway, that's all I got. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, again, thank you guys both for letting me be a part of this. I have a great time. And I will leave you all with saying, make sure you see enough movies because all of life's riddles are answered in the movies. Actually, and one last thing. I forgot your the tagline oh, the tag for lines. the movie. And then I'll end it. Yeah, we got, we got to figure out the right place to put tag when we keep forgetting about yeah. it. Uh, the tagline for the movie is... When you think you've gone far enough, go further. And I want to wish everybody a good evening and good night. El Madrid, it's nice to see you. It's really nice to be here. I love you all. Still your fat look, smoked out cowpoke, sequined mountain. Digits, itchy britches I love you all I love you all I love you Cigarettes and still you I love you all. Prodigal son waits to return to where the dogs play pool.